Rallycast episode number 59, and in this show, we're going to shift gears to the World Rally Championship. We haven't talked in detail about the WRC for a while, and with all the drama and close battles, a mid-season review was definitely in order. To properly discuss the season to date, we reached out across the pond to a man who's been at the stage end of every event, WRC All Live reporter and host of Kitchen Table Shakedown, Colin Clark. That's right, we have the Colin Clark on the show. Grab yourself a cup of tea, a beer, whatever you like. This is Open Paddock, the Rallycast. Hello and welcome to the Open Paddock Rallycast. I'm your host, Mike Shaw, and with me as always is my co-presenter, Ian Holmes. Ian, how are you doing this evening? I am doing pretty good, to be honest. It's been uh, too long for, from, a, from the last podcast. It's been too long from the last rally. I'm... I'm really getting some withdrawals. I really need to talk rally. Well, I think we've got plenty of that coming up because right now we have our special guest all the way from the UK that we got up bright and early, very early, Mr. Colin Clark. And Colin, I first have to ask you, are you at your kitchen table? Uh, yeah, good morning, Mike. You're absolutely right. Far too uh, bright is the wrong word, but early is the absolute appropriate word. Do you know what? I'm not actually at the kitchen table this morning. I'm in the cupboard under the stairs in amongst the coats. I've got my Oregon Trail mug. I've got my cup of tea and uh, me and the coats are doing good this morning. Thank you. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> what a great setting. Uh, well, I do have my cup of tea as well. Uh, I am having a, a proper English breakfast, but my cup is um, familiar with uh, Dan Coverdale and his, uh, you know, uh, We the Terror stuff. Yes, I am. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So I've got his uh, I'd Rather Be on Unampuya uh, coffee oh, yeah. mug here, you know, and it's the one that's got the little map of that infamous stage so yeah and that you know what mike that's not a bad pronunciation for an american either you're almost there (laughs) i try i try (laughs) you know the hardest and and i'll say that uh you know we've got many a driver that are are a polish background that Mm. race here in america and some of those you look how it's written and it is absolutely nothing like you would expect (laughs) No, I, listen, I think the most the most famous, or certainly the, the one that always sticks out with me in that regard is, I remember a driver in the WRC, he was in the uh, Group N Championship, I think he might have done WRC 2 as well, a guy called Michael Kuchusko. Remember Michael? I, I remember the name, yes. Yeah, uh, you know, an unpronounceable name when you see it written. Now, the very strange thing is, in Australia, Australia's biggest mountain is spelt exactly the same way as Kuchusko's surname, and they pronounce it Kosciuszko. How would you get Kuchusko and Kosciuszko from the same grouping of letters? I have no idea, but there we wow. go. Poli- Polish again, Michael, Polish again. Indeed. <laughs> Always a challenge. Always a challenge. Well, um, you know, you've been going on now for, gosh, how many years now doing this uh, WRC coverage, sir? Well, you're doing the actual media side of things, working on on the radio and the television and various media projects, probably about 15 seasons now. 2005 uh, was my first year of covering the WRC. But previous to that, I worked for two or three years uh, in a sponsorship capacity, working with um, 555. So, you know, we're we're touching 20 years, Mike. It's it's a long time. It's a long time. And it's about 19 years longer than I thought I would last. (laughs) But the passion has never faded. And, and that's one thing I think we all as fans, you know, uh, people like you are what draw us into the sport. You, you know, you, right. you make us fans just mm-hmm. like you are. And it, yeah, it seems like every time you're at stage end, you still have 
that nervous energy when the cars come up to that stop line and that raw emotion is right there. Yeah, like, you know, I, I am a fan and, 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 you know, I always will be a fan of rallying and, and number one, I'll be a fan of rallying. And uh, you know what it's like. You've had a little taste of it over the last year or so. You know, there's no more exciting place to be in a rally. I genuinely believe this. Yeah, it's great to get out into the stages and to see the cars. But when you get to the stop lines, the, the amount of adrenaline that's flowing around uh, to be able to talk to drivers, it's quite a unique situation particularly in motorsport, but really in any sport. You know, the second the drivers have finished competing, more or less, within, within a handful of seconds, you're in their car, you've got the microphone in front of them, you're finding out what's going on, the car's still hot, it's pinging, uh, the smells are coming off, sometimes bits are hanging off the cars. You know, if you can't get excited by that, you know, you might as well just sit down with your cup of tea and stay in front of the telly for the rest of your life. <laughs> yeah, so... um do you ever like um, feel like you're, you're intruding? If anybody's had like a yeah. bad a bad run or something like that, yeah, you, you know what? You, you have to show a little bit of uh, discretion at times. You know that there are. It's not not so much a bad run. If someone's had a bad run, then I want to know why they've had a bad run. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, we do we do see some unfortunate situations. You see some drivers getting quite emotional. Things happen in stages. That they would rather hadn't happened. So, yeah, you know, at, at times you need to you need to be able to distance yourself a little bit and show a little bit of discretion. And that that's really what works with the drivers. If if they've had a bad run, if they've made mistakes, they kind of expect to be asked the questions and they have to deal with that. But if mm -hmm. something's gone on, you know, they don't want you intruding necessarily. Um, you know, if they're trying to hide mistakes that they've made, problems with the car. It is my job to find out what's happened there. Um, but as we know in rallying, there's a whole load of different variables can come into things during the course of a stage. And, and there are situations where really you just have to take a step back and say, well, you know, we'll leave that one and we'll let them go. Thankfully, not too many situations like that. But, you know, you need to be able to recognize those situations and when they're happening and how to deal with them. So it it seems like we 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 watch we watch you on stage and doing this, and we we think you must have like the best job in the whole world. But you you must have when you think about it, you must, probably must have the most arduous job out there. Because... Ian, 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 don't 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 go down that route. Uh, you know, <laughs> you know I, I I sorry, I don't know what you do. What do you do for a job, Ian? Uh, I I have an office job, unfortunately. Yeah. No, listen, I had an office job for 10 years, and that was arduous. That was properly arduous. You know, there are people doing proper jobs out there, working hard, and it's arduous. I would never, ever, ever. Uh, you, you, there's a lot of traveling involved, and when you've got a young family, sometimes, you know, that can be, uh, you know, a little bit testing, but it certainly it certainly isn't arduous. It's, it, it's always it's always fun. You know, I still love traveling. I still love flying. I still get excited by airports. I turn up at an airport every time and it fools me i think i'm going on holiday every time i turn up to an airport still so you know <laughs> that, that that excitement of flying of traveling um you're running around the stages running okay we don't maybe do it quite so much these days now that i'm working on the television side of things but in the old radio days i'd be chasing cars around the countryside uh doing as many stages as i could and 
you know, you you operated on adrenaline, and and it was mm-hmm. there was there was nothing arduous about it. It really, it really is uh, an absolute privilege to be able to do the job. And you know, as as long as I've still got some relevance to the sport, I'll keep doing it. You know, I'll, I'll be there with my, my Zimmer frame, you know, running around <laughs> knocking people over to get to the stage ends and to get to the cars until someone says, "No, he's lost his relevance." Off you go. So no, no, I, I'm I'm not going to call it arduous. That's that would be unfair on people who have proper arduous jobs. Uh, well, perhaps arduous was the wrong word then. But I mean, I'm I'm wondering about what's what's the day like for you when you when you're working on stage. I mean, you must have to put in more hours than the drivers and crews to get up and get out on stage, and then get move on to another stage, and then probably move back to the stage you were at the first time. It it then. Um, that's what I mean about being arduous, you know. Yeah, you know, there's, there's, there's hours. You put hours in, that's for sure. You know, you, there, there can be very, very long days. There are some rallies where you're, and it's something you accept, you know. You leave home, you turn up at the rally, and you will get a good night's sleep when you get back home. You're not going to a rally to get a good night's sleep. That's that's absolutely for sure. So, you're quite often, we're working 16, 18, sometimes 20-hour days, Um but as I say, it's not. It's not. It's not a hard twenty-hour days. I'm. I'm not a doctor turning up in an A and E department and having to to work twenty-four hours on on uh, critical care patients or anything like that. You know that that that's properly hard work. Uh, we're 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 chasing drivers around the countryside and having fun. But they can be quite long days. But you know, as as you guys know, you've been around rallying long enough. That is what rallying's about: long, hard, fun, enjoyable days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you you work hard so you can uh, yeah uh, party with them. I guess when it's all over, and oh. then uh, you just crash. <laughs> I I genuinely don't remember the last time I well I do remember the last time I went partying because it got rather messy, um, but that was that was the best part of uh, fourteen years ago, 12, 12, 14 years ago. I'm I'm you know you get you, basically shakedown starts, the adrenaline builds, and the adrenaline builds over the course of the weekend. And what I find, as soon as that champagne's been sprayed on that final podium, the adrenaline drops, and all I want to do is find a bed somewhere, go to bed, maybe have something to eat, and sleep. I mean, how these guys go out and party all night, I have no idea. I am completely incapable of, of that. It's it's the last thing on my mind <laughs> is to go out and have a few beers and um, uh, you know, and get a little bit the other way. So no, 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 uh, partying is not for me. I'm, I'm, I'm sadly uh, for a lot of people, I am not a party animal. I'm a bit of a, um, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a, in my bed, nice and early, with a good book type. Ah, uh, yeah. I, do, I, I have the. I like to have the the one drink and then just watch because just. It's just a fun time. <laughs> yeah, if, if you're into your people watching, that could certainly be a very interesting, interesting <laughs> oh, time. Oh, yes, to indeed, watch. indeed. Yeah. Uh, not, not definitely uh, something that we'll uh, discuss in detail on the show. Um, <laughs> there, there'll there'll be books written about there. it in the future, though, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, you know, before we get to doing our, our uh, mid-season review, I was just going to talk about just, I guess, all live for a second. Boy, it's really created quite the new paradigm in rallying, hasn't it? Well, it, you know, it's been a revelation, and it, you know, it's been a long time coming. It's fair to say, uh, but yeah, this is how the world works. You know, you, you, your technology, technological advances over the past ten years have allowed all life to to evolve, um, and you know, the WRC promoter is doing a magnificent job. They're, they're doing really 
what promoters in the past have failed to do, which is to promote, <laughs> you know, to promote the sport. And WRC All Live is is fantastic promotion of the World Rally Championship. It's something that, that they've been looking to do for many, many years. And uh, cost-wise, technology-wise, it's been very difficult. You know, it's very simple. If you've got a roundy-roundy series, the simplest thing in the world to do those uh, live. You've got a, a contained environment, nice and easy communications, away you go. You can do it practically on mobile phones these days. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we have the challenges of Sardinia, 40 plus degrees, Sweden, minus 30 degrees, some incredibly remote and challenging environments. And to to be able to, with a degree of certainty, send those pictures, create a program from those type of extremes is uh you know it's commendable it's, it's it's an incredible effort technically that goes into delivering all live and as i say you know the promoter is doing the most wonderful job uh in delivering it in supporting all live uh, and pushing rallying in a direction it's not gone in in the past and you know that's what we've always got to do you know rallying will evolve and it always has evolved over the years and all live is part of that evolution uh you know hybrids very much part of that evolution the next type of uh, whether it's uh, electric whether it's uh, whatever it might be hydrogen who knows what we might have in 10 or 15 years time but rallying has to evolve and a big part of the evolution of rallying right now is the ability for people around the world to tune in at any time they want during the course of a rally and watch live rally cars on the stages it really is a magnificent magnificent uh, development yeah that's that's the way that's the way we do it isn't it i mean it's like i i, I will get up here in Minnesota at like six o'clock in the morning and they're on a Saturday morning and there there it'll be for me early stages on whichever rally is being run in Europe and Mike's a, Mike's a bit of a night owl as well so <laughs> he, Mike will like watch it he'll be, wa- be watching live late at night mm. so yeah it's the fact that you can tune in when when you're on the other side of the world at any time of day and be watching watching mm. the sport that we love it, it is it's great i know that uh, we were uh, certainly mike and i we talked about it we were a bit nervous about this change over to all live and uh, it seems like it really has it's really been a game changer it, it has it has for an awful lot of people and uh, you know there'll, there'll be i'm sure more evolutions of all live to come there'll be more developments there'll be uh, you know, over the years, it, it, it certainly won't stand still. So, uh, you know, let's look forward to it. Let's let's enjoy it for sure and look forward to to the direction that it goes in. But it, it has changed things, very much changed things. It changes things not just for the fan, but also for the stakeholders in the championship. You know, the manufacturers, the tire suppliers, uh, you know, the sponsors. It gives them so much more than they used to get out of rallying. So mm-hmm. it's it's so important. Though, you know, we live in such a competitive world. We live in such a, a cost-conscious world these days. If you're in charge of marketing budgets, you have to be looking at uh, products, projects, uh, you know, events, sports that, that, that match really your ambition in terms of development, in terms of embracing technology. And for sure, rallying is right there just now and it's at the cutting edge. So, yeah, let's let's wait and see. But uh, I, I'm looking forward to, to many more years of all live. Excellent. I mean, I, I will say, though, personally, I, I do very much miss WRC live radio. But I think what was different about that, it was it seemed a little more personal. Um, you, you just you're you're. Of the group of you were 
uh, I, I guess there was just something about it. Uh, there was yeah. just a chemistry there. And the way that you interacted with fans on Twitter and Facebooks and, you know, and just uh, in general just was, it mm. was just something special there. Uh, but I still get my fill of Colin Clark, though, because you've got this kitchen table shakedown you've been doing. And yeah. that's been starting to take off. Well, you know what? Uh, it does astonish me. It does astonish me. And it's, you know, I'm not a trained media person at all never been to any sort of media training session in my life. I, I suppose there's a little bit of media in the genes. My, my grandfather was a, was a journalist for a number of years and, and oddly a radio journalist as well as a, a written journalist. He then went so into teaching the and then. became... <laughs> well, he became a headmaster of journalism. Was Actually, he was a headmaster first and then he went into journalism. And my father did, he dabbled with journalism in his younger days. Um, but no, not something I ever considered doing. But, but it, you know, I, I developed, I suppose, through the radio a style... The oddly people seem to want to watch. And, and it's, um, I remember when I did, you know, the kitchen table was supposed to be five or six minutes, five or six minutes of just my thoughts on certain, certain subjects. And I did the first one and it was 20 odd minutes. I thought no one is going to listen to this. Who, who wants to sit and listen to me giving my opinions from my kitchen table for 20 odd minutes? And you're quite right. It has taken off. You know, we, we regularly get up to 30,000 viewers on it these days. Um, and, and people seem to enjoy it, you know, and I don't know what it is, but there seems to be a style there that, that engages with people. It's, it's like you were saying, Mike, about the radio. And I think a lot of it comes from the radio. Um, there's a personal, from what I hear, from what people tell me, uh, there's a kind of personal feeling to the kitchen table. It's, it's a very personal setting. It is my kitchen. It is a genuine kitchen. It's not, it's not a studio. Uh, and uh, by all accounts, the way I deliver it, which, as I say, is not, it's, it's just, just intuitive. Uh, but people seem to think it connects. It gives a connection. So, you know, I'm, 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 I really enjoy doing them because, you know, that's one of the things I miss about the radio. The radio worked on rallying and it still works on rallying. You know, there's still, still radio products out there. And, and uh, you know, I do get asked every now and again to go and contribute to various rally radio shows. It works because it involves analysis and it involves, it invo involves opinion. And uh, there's nothing better in sports than good analysis and good opinion because people always want to engage in debates, even if it's a debate with themselves in their own heads. You know, if you're sitting <laughs> watching the kitchen table, you know, you're going, yeah, I agree with them. No, I don't agree with them. Uh, you know, it's, it's a core part of any sporting output, in my view, is good quality analysis and opinion. And I think, uh, without being too big-headed, I think that's probably the reason that the kitchen table is, is, is relatively successful is that people do just enjoy, they enjoy the personal side of it, they enjoy the uh, the kitchen table side of it, they enjoy the analysis and the comments. So, yeah, no, I, I, I love doing it. And, and to be honest with you, um, you might find I'm doing a few more in the coming months, try and get into more of a regular pattern. It's keeping it regular, but, you know, people say that you should do one every week, but what it's always been, the kitchen table, is... Uh, subjects that come up that I want to express, express an opinion on. If you schedule something every week, <clears throat> excuse me, or every couple of weeks, you're looking for things to talk about. You're looking for situations to have opinions on. And that then becomes contrived. And that's not what I want to do. You know, I, I want to have uh, proper opinions, proper views on things that happen within the world of, of, of rallying. Last week was, was a great case in point. We had the wonderful situation with Hyundai and uh -huh. Mr. Adamo continuing to plow his own furrow and doing his own thing and, and uh, you know, confounding people at every turn. What a character he is. Uh, and then the next day, more or less the next day, a few days later, Padden turning around and saying, well, tell you what, 
I'm going to go and get my own car to do rally finning. Fantastic. The, 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 you know, it's just an absolute treasure trove of subjects to talk about when we get those situations. Well, there seems like there's been no lack of drama in the WRC uh, this season. Um, wow. Was it the, the top three separated by a mere seven points right seven now? Seven points, yeah. yeah. Uh, just, and then on, on the flip side of that, from fourth on back, they're half as many points or less as well, those top three. It's just, it's just a whole other level. It is a whole different level. You know, we, we've got three, I call them elite drivers just now. I, I, it's, it's maybe a little unfair to split our drivers, but, but there is the elite group and then there's the chasing pack. And, uh, you know, I would classify an elite driver as a driver who is capable of going to any rally and winning that rally. Uh, now, at the start of the year, I'd have argued there were five or six of them, perhaps. Um, our top three, clearly, Tanak, Auger, Neuville. But I'd have also thrown into that mix, perhaps Chris Meek, perhaps Yari Mati Latvala. Um, you know, and, and you could say Sebastian Loeb as well at the start of the year, even although he was never doing a full season. He, he wouldn't have written Loeb off potentially for any of the rallies that he was entered into. But I think that's evolved as the year has evolved. And I think we very much have, if you like, the super elite now, the, the three who are absolutely battling it out. They are a level above everyone else. Uh, and the other drivers are support drivers, the support drivers in terms of the manufacturer's championship and the driver's championship. We have three drivers who are operating at such a high level just now. Um, it's a delight. You know, we're very fortunate. We're very, very fortunate. We've had domination in the championship for many, many years, first with Citroen and Sebastian Loeb. And this is not to take away from their achievements. They were just the most wonderful, magnificent times to be a Loeb fan and a Citroen fan. Uh, and they dominated because Loeb is probably the greatest driver we've ever had. We then go into the Volkswagen era and we get Volkswagen and Ogier dominance. Uh, and it's not good for any sport. Absolute dominance is not good for any sport. The new generation World Rally cars with Toyota coming in, with Hyundai getting really serious, has opened the sport up in the last couple of three seasons. You know, remember 2017, I think we had seven or eight different winners in yeah. 2017. Mm -hmm. Didn't quite go down to the wire, but we had seven or eight different winners. Last year, we go to Australia, final round of the season. Three drivers in with a chance of winning. We've got every chance that that'll happen again this year. We're really in a golden period for the WRC just now. And it's, it's a great opportunity for the WRC. And it's exactly what the promoter is doing, I'd have to say. You know, they're building more than a solid base and they're pushing forward on the success. The success, the competition, the drama, the excitement in the stages is allowing the promoter to build the profile of the sport worldwide. And, and it's, it's wonderful for all of us, for the, for the commentators and, and fans alike. You know, as before we move on to talk about just specific teams and how they're doing, uh, just events-wise, it seems mm -hmm. like every country wants to have a WRC round now. You know, we've had mm -hmm. Chile that was added this year. Um, there's talk of, uh, what, Japan coming on board. Um, there's uh, Estonia, which is happening this yeah. weekend. Um, yep. it, I believe it's a candidate event, right? Um, not, not quite a candidate event as yet. It's, okay. it's, it's a promotional. Promotional. Event. So, that's right. But they, they, but they have. You're right. They've, they've absolutely made their intentions quite clear. They do want to be considered for the WRC. They've got a pretty set timetable for that, and we're not talking imminently. We're talking two or three, maybe four years down the line. But listen, you know, I've seen on a number of events this year um, a party of North Americans. You guys, you guys are getting serious again, and they've got uh, a five-year plan for putting a 
bid together to get a slot on on the, the WRC. Yeah, the Canadians. Yeah, the, yeah, the Canadians. So uh, you're right, and it's it's you, the popularity of the sport, the fact that you know we have we're well oversubscribed in terms of countries that want to have a round of the championship. That points very much to the health of the championship. Don't forget, you know, uh, where this promoter has been remarkably clever is they've understood that to promote the sport successfully, you have to have a firm financial footing. You, know, you, you can't do it on fresh air. The promoter has never, in the past before this promoter, has never made a profit from WRC. Um, now, it's not all about making profit, but what's the point in putting in huge amounts of effort, huge amounts of investment, unless there's a chance of making some money at the end of the day? We should never begrudge anyone making a bit of money. Uh, but right now, it's not all about the profit for the WRC promoter, but it's about having the funds to invest in the championship. And what Mr. Ciesla said, who's the head of the WRC promoter, he said, I'm interested in rounds that are interested themselves in investing in their own events to put on a fantastic show and interested in investing in the championship. And that is so important. So, you know, there's a model in place where the new rallies pay a fee, uh, you know, and that fee goes towards various things, but, you know, they're prepared to pay a fee and, and that's where I think when you look at the countries clamoring to get into the championship it, it's enormously impressive and that they are prepared to pay uh, quite a substantial fee to be part of this ever-growing uh, world rally championship and it, it's it's in the healthiest position in that regard that it's been in for decades for many many decades well, uh, let's move on and uh, kind of start talking about the, the season so far. Um, you know, I, I was going to kind of do it kind of team by team, uh, if that works for you. Uh, obviously, starting kind of at the front, we've got our uh, our man on the front, Oit Tanak, and the Toyota team. Toyota just, I, I must say, I, I'm so impressed with when that team came on board and how quick they got up to speed and... It seems like Akio and uh, Mackinnon just have quite the friendship and, uh, you know, a, a connection there to create what I think is the fastest car in the championship. Well, I think there's no question they've developed the fastest car in the championship. I, an, an amazing story. And, and particularly when you look back now to the end of 2016, OK, we're almost going back three seasons. But, you know, when really what we were judging our teams and the new world rally cars on were the YouTube videos that we're seeing. And if you remember back uh, when OJ obviously found out that Volkswagen weren't continuing uh, and he was invited to test a number of cars, wasn't he? Because everyone wanted OJ. And we saw that YouTube footage of him testing that Toyota and it was a dog. It just, uh, you know, it was so, it was handling so badly that people questioned whether it was actually OJ who was in the car. Mm -hmm. And this was late November early December, possibly, you know, we're only talking six or seven, eight weeks max away from Monte Carlo. And we all thought they're in trouble. They're in big, big trouble. Um, Ogier ultimately decided not to go there. Latvala did. The transformation in the car when Latvala got involved was quite incredible. Uh, and they went from strength to strength to strength. And, you know, to win on their second event, to win the championship in their second year, to build the fastest car in the third year, uh, quite incredible, but they should be leading the championship right now by a mile. Uh, and what they've got is they've got the fastest car, but they've got a slightly, at times, fragile car. Uh, and that's often what happens. You compromise reliability for speed. 
you, you never want to do that, but that's that's sometimes what happens. And you know, it it, it, it must be a little worrying for Tommy and that. The problems that have happened this year, they've been small problems, but my goodness, they've been costly problems. We saw it in Sardinia. All four cars, remember, they had four World Rally cars mm-hmm. in Sardinia, all had the same problem with the steering rack, and it cost Oit Tanak in particular big time in that yeah. final stage. We've seen problems with the rims this year. Remember, Chris yep, Meek had wheels. four or five yeah. broken rims. We've had problems with the suspension. We've had problems with the, the I think, the cooling system, the alternator, sorry. So, you know, they're not quite there yet, but what is incredible is that they lead the Drivers' Championship. They're still in the Manufacturers' Championship. When, and they will, they will get it absolutely right because that's the nature of the sport. When they do get that car uh, 100% reliable, or as near to 100% as you can get, um, they will be a formidable, formidable force. There is no question about that. And and as you rightly say, your hat's off to what Toyota have done and continue to do considering they are such a young team. But it, it, it does, a, in, in a major part, come down to what you've touched on, Mike, you know, that relationship between Tommy Mackinnon and uh, Toyota-san. It, it is a remarkable relationship, and it's one that, that has proved remarkably successful. I mean, I was... Uh, well, I remember when I was watching those YouTube videos of that, that toy, the Toyota the first time that uh, you were talking about. And I remember looking at that car and thinking, what's it got a CD rack on the back for uh, like yeah. a, a rear aerofoil. And, and it's, it's, a, it's the strangest thing that some, something that looks so ugly is now yeah. something that is like so inc- un- unbeatable. Well, your, your ugliness, beauty, it's, it's as they say, yeah. they hoped, uh, you know, the old uh, proverb or adverb, what is it? can't remember, Mike, you can help me out. You understand these things better than me. You think it's adverb, <laughs> isn't it? Uh, it's in, the, in, no, it's not adverb. In the eye of the beholder. Whatever it is, the old saying, shall we say, you know, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Uh, yeah, it, 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 is, it is striking, the aerodynamics on that car, in particular when you look at it from the rear. Um, it's bonkers. It's totally bonkers. But, uh, you know, that, that was what the new regulations, the 2017 reg- regulations were designed to do. You know, way back in the 80s when we had the Group B era. You know, they, they, listen, the, the new, new regulations weren't in any way designed to emulate Group B because Group B was a difficult time. Um, but, you know, it was designed to reignite that passion, particularly in younger people. You know, in the 80s, you had posters. As a young man, you might have a poster of uh, a Metro 6R4. Your Metro was a horrible little car, but the Metro 6R4, goodness me, you know, it was an astonishing looking car. The Audi Quattro, you know, the, 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 the aero regulations were in part, you know, in part designed to give it that sexy wow factor again. And that's what we got, it's particularly what we got with the Toyota. We got aerodynamics that made you go, Oh my goodness me! Just look at that. Look how far uh, you they had, can you had, go. Did we want well, to go this the, far? I don't know, but yeah. they went there. <laughs> no, they did, and 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 you know, you, we, we, with the same regulations, you had the Citroen, which had, relatively speaking, very little aerodynamics. You had the Toyota, which looked bonkers, mm-hmm. and then, in my view, you had the M Sport car, which looked beautiful. It was oh, a yeah. beautiful-looking flowing machine. Uh, and to get those three, and then you had obviously Citroen, uh, sorry, you had Hyundai in there, which also um, was a little, not underwhelming in terms of the aero, but certainly in, uh, in relation to the Toyota, it looked a little underwhelming. Um, but to get from the same set of regulations, those four very, very different interpretations of the aerodynamics, uh, for me was interesting, really, really interesting. And it makes it exciting again. The cars were all beginning 
Yeah. Uh, well, they, they had, they were looking remarkably similar. Uh, yeah. And, and, you know, I, I would never say boring, but they certainly look very similar. Um, and now we've got cars which, which just, you know, are, are quite unique, quite distinctive, really quite sexy. And, 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 you know, and they get, in particular, young people excited again. And that's what we need to do with the sports. You know, I'd, I'd say job done with the, uh, yeah. you know, with the rule set. To be honest, you know that's what yeah, they yeah, wanted to do. Not, not a lot. There's not a lot you would turn around and say. Well, you know, if we had uh, our time again, we'd maybe change that or we'd change this. You know, the cars look spectacular. Uh, you know, the top speeds. Top speeds don't matter in rally cars. You know, no. uh, you know, you've got Group N cars that'll do 130, 140 miles an hour, and they'll be beaten in a stage by a, a world rally car top speed, maybe, maybe a hundred and. 15, maybe just a little bit more, 120 miles an hour. Uh, they'll be beaten by minutes on certain stages because these cars, where you really in a straight line, yeah, you know, you, you kind of get an idea of the speed, but what's the difference between 110 and 130 in a straight line? They're both bloody quick. Um, but where, where you go, wow, and you step back two or three steps is when you see these cars cornering. The cornering mm -hmm. ability of these cars with all that uh, extra downforce that they get from the aerodynamics is quite breathtaking and 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 they are in the stages uh, just the most sensational looking machines uh when they're they're, they're charging through the stages um it, it it has done really just about everything i think that the fi intended the new regulation to do yeah i was there at wales rally gb the year elvin evans won mm. and that was that was that was my first experience like close up and yeah, it was. It was. It was mind-boggling to watch them, watch mm. them on stage at times. It re really was. The, the cornering, yeah, ab is absolutely where it's at. Yeah, it's the cornering and and and, and the power and the grunt. You know, yeah. you see them coming into corners at speeds that just defy belief, and they mm -hmm. break and they get round the corners at enormous speeds, and then they they take off. You know, the grip, the traction, the downforce, the uh, the power. The low down power in these cars, it just all combines to make a really quite intoxicating experience out in the stages. And again, that's what it's got to be because mm. uh, you know, a lot of people saying, why, why aren't the younger generation into rallying? Well, things change. We talked about this earlier. You know, uh, everything is, is changing at the most rapid pace in society. Um, you know, when Colin McRae was doing his magic out in the stages, uh, you know, when you got your... 50 minutes and hours highlights of around the world rally championship and you saw these cars uh, going really quick even relative to the new cars you know going sideways around gravel roads on mountains it did make you stop for a second or two and go wow nowadays kids are getting that every second of every day on their smartphones on their tablets they are getting those experiences sadly um you know so rallying perhaps doesn't have that same impact on a younger generation that it, it might have had 20, 30 years ago mm -hmm. where it was truly jaw-dropping to see yeah. these cars because you had nothing else in your life that came anywhere close to it. You've got to work a lot harder now to make kids go, wow, you know, I want a bit of that because they've got all these nonsense blooming games that they play 24-7 on their, as I say, their computers or whatever. Uh, and we're getting there. We're very much getting back to that situation where, you know, the characters that are in the sport, the uh, the main protagonists, the cars, the venues. This is where the, the mix in rallying is so, so important to get. And again, I think it's where the promoter is getting it right. Uh, you know, we have to keep the mix of, of cars, characters, rallies, challenges, experiences, 
Um, we have to keep it fresh and relevant and different. Um, and we're getting that. We're very much getting that these days. And there, there's an awful lot of equity, if you like, in rallying that we can go out and sell to a younger generation. And, you know, we're seeing it. We're absolutely seeing it. You know, you talk about the kitchen table. I, I get my figures for the kitchen table. The same from my Instagram feed, which is mainly uh, Colin Clark Rally, if you're listening and anyone isn't already following me, that would be nice. Um, <laughs> You know, and I look at I look at the age profile, uh, and it surprises me. It really does surprise me. You know, it's, it's I, I expect the age profile to be thirties to forties. In fact, the biggest group of people I've got following me are twenty-one to twenty-five year olds. So that that's that, that that's mm. me. and it's it, and it's encouraging, and it's 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 vital for the health of the sport. At one point, well, at one point it looked as if the sport was going to just grow older with its fans. Mm-hmm. And that was a dangerous situation. You know, our sport is driven by manufacturers. Whether you like it or not, our sport is driven by manufacturers. It is there at the highest level to support manufacturers selling cars. Uh, you know, and what happens in uh, you know, the car sales market, and you'll, as car drivers, you'll be familiar with it, your brand loyalty is developed at a very, very early age, perhaps mm-hmm. more so than, than just about any other type of product. You know, you become brand loyal, 17, 18, 19 years old, and you will stick with that brand more often than not right through your buying lifetime. Um, and to, to be able to engage with those youngsters is important for manufacturers. And what was happening was, you know, we had a generation who were 10 years ago in their mid to late 40s. Now they're into their mid to late 50s and 60s. And that was our main sporting and fan base. And it was just getting older and older and older because we weren't able to engage with the younger generation. And it was a worrying time because brands, in particular car manufacturers, they're not interested. They're not interested. You say we've got you know, this, this enormous fan base. Yeah, but they're all in their 50s. No, yeah. I'm not interested. Mm-hmm. What we're doing now is we're engaging younger people in the sport uh, and we're building a whole new fan base for the sport. And it's encouraging, it's healthy, and it's exciting. And I, and I think, you know, WRC's had a really good ladder system uh, to really support bringing young drivers in because I think that the young people is what uh, some of the younger generation also can connect with. And seeing those uh, young drivers grow throughout the sport over the years, of course, I'm a little older, but following longer. But, you know, um, you know, it, we were talking about Toyota, just Oit Tanak's transition, right? Uh, wow, what a transformation he's had over the years to become dominant yeah absolutely well he's not quite dominant yet but he he is the fastest driver out there um but yeah it's been a roller coaster for tanak remember tanak's been been uh, off in the wilderness he exploded onto the scene he was given an opportunity by wilson he threw that opportunity away mm-hmm. 2011 mm-hmm. 2012 and he disappeared for two years and it happened twice in his career it went did. back to estonia and i still to this day have no idea what he was doing for those two years but he's the sort of character who some drivers will sit at home and they will brood and they will smart and they will uh, allow resentment to develop and they will never move on and they certainly will never learn from those experiences. Tanak is very different. He came back, particularly after his second period out of the sport, he came back a different character. Uh, you know, He came back, he disappeared off a petulant boy and he came back a very likable, mature man. Um, and, um, and he's learned and he's, he's always had an unbelievable amount of raw talent, but it's, it's shaping that raw talent has taken some time for Tanak, but he, he now has developed into the, 
uh, you know, the, the uh, you say dominant mic. Yeah, that, that's well, potentially. On no, his day. No, I, I'm, <laughs> going, I'm, no, I'm going for that word. I'm going, I'm heading towards that word. Uh, but I, I, I just slightly reluctant to use it just yet because I think there are three that are very, very level. But for sure, Tanak, on his day, you are right, absolutely right, is the fastest driver out there. And an impressive, impressive young man indeed. And he has the potential to win many, many world titles. And when you, as you say, we've watched that, that really emotional roller coaster over the years for Oit Tanak. And uh, you know, a lot of us who have known him for all those years, uh, really, really pleased for the kid that because he, he's put the effort in. There's no question. Yes, you know, there was Malcolm Wilson and one or two others, Marco Martin, very much putting the finances, the support uh, behind him to try and allow him to to break through in the sport. Um, but the boy that's put the effort in is Oit Tanak and fully deserves where he's at right now. Do you think the the time with Ogier it mm. was a turning point in his consistency? Well, absolutely. It was it was a great year, wasn't it? And and you know that 2017 season uh, was quite remarkable because uh, don't forget, you know, that the M Sport car. I think they had something like two and a half thousand kilometers of testing under their belt before Monte Carlo. Uh, you know, Toyota had and, and all of the other teams upwards of ten, some of them over fifteen thousand kilometers of testing. So there was there was a lot of uncertainty, and you had Ogier coming from the dominance of Volkswagen, a lot of uncertainty, not not about Ogier's talent or ability, but perhaps to how he might adapt to the team. And then you had Tanak, and Tanak at this point hadn't won a rally. You know, the, the team developed together, uh, and Ogier developed, he continued to develop, he was four times world champion at that point, but he continued to develop as a driver, and Tanak learned massive amounts uh, during that year from Sebastian Ogier. And, and he, he thrived on the situation he was in, uh, the, the ability to support Ogier where necessary in the driver's title, more so the ability to support M Sports in their quest to take that remarkable double that year, the drivers and manufacturers. Um, and he just got better and better and better as the year went on. And you know what? He's continued to improve at Toyota to the point where, yeah, right now, uh, there's only literally, a, a, you know, um, a cigarette paper between our top three drivers. But you know, if you had to go for a fastest driver, you would say uh, with reasonable certainty that it's Oit Tanak just now. And of course, uh, also on the team there, you've got Yari Matty Latvala now coming up on potentially being the what most experienced driver in WRC history. Um, Plus stop. Yeah, wow. And, and of course, Chris Meek on there. Both of them, unfortunately, Unfortunately, having similar consistency issues, but you were talking a little bit about, I think maybe some people don't really know kind of some of the behind the scenes of when Yari Matty ended up on, on Toyota, the technical information yeah. that he helped them with in developing that car, because he really does have kind of that engineering mindset, doesn't he? And, and we know Chris Meek even has an engineering mm-hmm. background, right? Well, absolutely. And 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 uh, it was very much Latvala who uh, brought with him you know, he brought, Latvala was at Toyota, sorry, at Volkswagen, remember, for all those years, uh, you know, and he brought with him a Volkswagen mentality in terms of engineering and setup. And there were some issues that he very rapidly got on top of with that car, in particular the suspension. And he, he brought in uh, certain suspension components, insisted that they, they put these particular components on the car and it transformed the car. And it wasn't the only reason the car 
became a winning car within two rallies. But it was wow. a fair part of it. But, mm-hmm. but Latvala, for, for all of that, for all of his engineering ability, you know, he's employed to do a job, and the job that he's employed to do is to score points and win rallies. And, uh, you know, the most likable character in rallying for, for a decade and oh, more I than a decade. Oh, Everyone loves him. For sure. Everyone yeah. loves him. But the most frustrating character, you know, bags of talent on his day, can win a stage by 10, 15 seconds. And, you know, he's about the only driver that can do that, has the ability. When he turns it on and it all works, it is magnificent to watch. But the lack of consistency over the years has been the most frustrating thing with the Aymati. And, um, you know, we saw 2017, a remarkably consistent year. The only mistake he made in 2017 was on the very final stage of the season, the power stage in Australia. He was pushing hard to try and win that one, and uh, and he made a mistake. That was his only mistake. Last year wasn't a bad year, but this year, oh, it's just been, it's been difficult. It's been difficult for Latvala. Um, and we'll see. I mean, he, he always has the ability to turn things around. Uh, but let's wait and see. Chris Meek, on the other hand, uh, has had a relatively low-key start to the year, but from Toyota's point of view, a fantastic start. You know, he had five or six rallies in a row where he finished fifth and he bagged 10 manufacturer points for them. And that's what he has to do. It might be, again, frustrating personally for Chris. He might be, um, or he might have expected to have perhaps picked up one or two more podiums at this point in his first year with Toyota. But, uh, you know, okay, take out the last couple of rallies, a couple of little mistakes. The biggest one, clearly, was Portugal, again, on that power stage, just a, a bit of brain fade, unfortunately, from Chris on that one. It was it was most un um, unfortunate for him because he'd driven a brilliant rally up to that point. But Chris Meek, I think when he looks back at his first half or first, well, nearly two-thirds of the way through the season now, um, you know, I, I don't think he'll be 100% happy, but he won't be too unhappy either. I, I think when you think he's jumped into a new team having more or less been written off uh, after Portugal last year with Citroen, um, you know, I think he's done a decent job and he's contributed to Toyota's cause this year. And that really, at the end of the day, was what he was taken on to do. You know, both of them are just such passionate people. And and, Mm -hmm. and I think that can work so well for them when they're on that something about that emotion just goes into their driving. Uh, But kind of like Latvalo is, well, sometimes, you know, he doesn't have the feeling or whatever, and it just kind of goes away. And, but man, on their day, both of those guys, they're just amazing. And, man, I, I just want to see that consistency so bad. Now, maybe that's one of the things that we love about these guys, too, is we have so much hope mm. that, you know, that they're going to do well because we, we see those glimpses, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it's, with, with Latvala and, and Chris Meek, it's more than glimpses, isn't it? You know, we're, we're, mm-hmm. we know. We know. And as I say, you know, when we talk about the elite drivers at the start of this year, both Latvala and Meek were right up there for me. You know, they, they could win. They had the potential to win every rally. Uh, maybe things have changed a bit as the year has gone on. This year has gone on. Um, but you, you're right. It is, it, that's what adds to the frustration. You know that Chris Meek on his day is breathtaking to watch. You know that Latvala on his day can do things in that car that other drivers, Tanak, Ogier, Neuville included, cannot do. Uh, but we don't see it enough. And certainly when we do see it, we don't see it then consistently enough. And, um, you know, both, both Chris and yeah, I, Matty, are fully aware of that. And that, that's, where, that's where it's a difficult sport, you know, because it's sometimes very, very, very hard to put your finger on why a particular stage went so well. What you can say is, oh, my God, it felt so easy. It felt so smooth. 
question is why did it feel easy and smooth that is very difficult right. to identify mm-hmm. yeah. and if you if you you know if you're constantly struggling looking for that answer when the answer appears if you're unable to identify what the answer is you know it's there but you can't actually identify it uh, that then is difficult and that that's kind of the situation that Yari Mati and Chris are both in just now you know they uh, they, they both have sublime talents uh, sublime speed and uh, enormous enormous potential to win rallies but not quite putting it together this season uh, but it may well all change you know things you know these kind of breaks that, that any sport has uh, you know it allows drivers to uh, you know, to go back home, to take a bit of time off, spend some time with their families, press the mental reset button. And you very often see that come Finland, you see a different driver out on the stages. And I, I think there's every chance that, you know, Finland, as we know, Chris Meeks won it in the past. Latvala has won it in the past. Finland is a very good chance for both of those drivers to mm-hmm. absolutely, you know, put their cards on the table for the, the last part of the year and say, yep, you know, we are here and you're going to have to beat us. We're not going to give points to anyone. You are going to have to beat us for the rest of the year. And there's every chance that will happen in Finland. Yeah, the thing that I've... Uh, I don't know if I've noticed this about... what You you were there. You, you're there at the stage end with uh, with them all. But Yari Matti seems a bit more talkative at stage end this year. I've noticed when people yeah. have put the microphone under him, he will talk and talk. If he's if he's if he's on the ball, he will talk and talk. There are other guys who are just like they want to get you out of the hair and get gone. But there are there have been times this this year I've seen Yari Matty just want to talk and talk. He'll like be really analytical with you about what's happened on the stage. Yeah, I think it's become almost part of his process of analysing what's gone on on the stage, trying to find that reason, that answer to why things have gone well, or perhaps to understand why things have gone badly. The, the, the stage-end interviews have almost become part of that process at times for Yari Matty, uh, which is great for us, really is great. But you know, at times, you, you talk about, we talked earlier uh, about... You know, certain situations where you, you, you have to withdraw from the car. With Yari Matty, sometimes, uh, you know, it's painful because you can mm-hmm. see him, uh, you know, you can see him beating himself up and you don't want him to, you know, <laughs> stage yeah. ends. And you just want him to go, Yari Matty, don't worry about it. You know, don't worry about it. Just move on. Put that one behind you. Uh, but as you say, he he uh, he can go into quite remarkable detail, and it's all I say. I suspect it's all part of that process of trying to trying to work out what's gone well, what's not gone well for himself in the stage. Not necessarily to tell us, telling us as a byproduct of mm-hmm. him working it out himself. So let's uh, move on from uh, Toyota over to Hyundai. Now you mentioned earlier about Adamo, and oh, is, it, wow. is that how you what? see it in Australia, in America? It, 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 isn't that as Maybe I have it wrong. No, 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 no. But there's about there's about four or five different pronunciations. <laughs> honestly, honestly, I don't know what the right pronunciation is. You go to to Korea and they'll tell you the Korean way. Um, and you go to Scotland and you get a completely different way of pronouncing it. Uh, but the American, I quite I quite like that American way. Go on, sorry, Mike. <laughs> <up on> <laughs> <Fine> <laughs> I, I I routinely screw up pronunciation, so it's 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 totally okay. <laughs> but. Man. You know, he's really made a statement that, that he'll do anything to win that manufacturer's title, as you mentioned earlier, about the uh, bringing on of uh, of Craig Breen. Um, yeah. uh, the team has had its ups and downs, uh, you could say. Uh, Neuville obviously being the, one of the top drivers this year and having that consistency, um, which has been great to see. I, I feel like Neuville's definitely been more strategic, I think, this year um, in, in how in his approach. 
the car's been strong, I think, for the most part. But like you talked about earlier about sacrificing some of the performance to the to the strength of the car. I think they they had some of the strength there, but they didn't quite have the performance, and so the drivers are having to push it a little more, and some kind of balance issues, it seems like. Uh, I I don't know, maybe maybe you can explain a little bit on that, but I think I keep hearing a lot of the cars understeering too much for this driver, oversteering too much for that driver, and trying to find that sweet spot seems very narrow with the Hyundai. Yeah, you know, that's in particular been Andreas Mikkelsen's problem. Uh, the, The issue is that the car on certain stages in a loop will perform differently. You know, it'll understeer on some stages and on very, very similar stages, it'll oversteer. Uh, The balance has been difficult to find, but the car is remarkably quick. And in 2017, at the start of 2017, okay, we're going back two and a half seasons, uh, you know, we all thought it was probably the quickest car out there. Uh, It it needs some developments. And from what we're seeing with the Finland testing, there are some developments in the pipeline, um, in particular for Rally Finland. Rally Finland's been a very difficult rally for Hyundai in the past. And you know, their best performance in, in the world uh, since they came back into the World Rally Championship, I think it's fourth for Padden last year. And that is not good enough. You know, what, what you have to be able to produce is a car that works on every single rally. Uh, and Hyundai have always struggled, certainly the past four or five, six years, uh, with Rally Finland. And uh, you know, the remarkable thing about Neuville is that he has the ability to drive through issues. And and all right, we saw an enormous accident for him in Chile. Um, but he drives through issues. And you, you watch cars and you see them snapping sideways out of corners at enormous speeds. And for you and I, that would be enough for us to throttle down to 30 miles an hour and drive the rest of the stage. And it would probably take us the rest of the day to recover from it. Whereas these guys, some of them have the ability... To not even register that. And Neuville is one of those. You know, the, the, the car is doing things it shouldn't be doing. He is adjusting. He is coping. And he moves on. And he keeps going. He doesn't lift the throttle. He doesn't go to 99.5%. He still pushes at 110%. And that is why Neuville has been runner-up in the championship the last three or four years. It is why he is still very much in the fight. Because he pushes that car through situations that other drivers are not prepared to push it through. Uh, when it all goes well, the car is great. And we saw that uh, in uh, Sardinia. We saw that for Danny Sordo. We saw it for um, uh, Andreas Mikkelsen. You know, two podiums, great result. But Neuville is the one who will drive that car 110% in any conditions in every rally. Uh, and he is a remarkable driver. Now, you know, he may or may not win the, the driver's title this year, but Hyundai are looking strong for the manufacturers. And they're looking strong because Adamo has been ruthless. He's got the best out of his second drivers. The, the second point scorer in the Hyundai at this point in the season has scored 30 more points than the second point scorer, combined second point scorers in Toyota. Uh, and and that, that's why they lead the championship. That is why they lead the manufacturer's championship. You know, Adamo has very much said, I will do everything I can to ensure that Neuville gets as many points as he can, but more importantly, to ensure that the team gets as many points as they can. Um, and you've got uh, you know, a, a support structure there that is now contributing. You know, Bench Mickelson for a couple of rallies, make him hungry, make him understand that he's not just going to be given these drives. He has to earn these drives. Right, and Mickelson right. now is yeah. earning his drives. Sordo, you know, a lot of people wrote Sordo off two or three years ago. Well, right. You know, in particular, Nandan and, and now Adamo see the value in Sordo. And Sordo is repaying that faith 
that uh, that the team bosses have shown in him remarkably well. Let's see, you know, Sebastian Loeb, how can we not talk about him? Oh, you know, in, in Chile in particular, you know, that second place, he was unfortunate, wasn't he? Uh, when we went to Portugal, but uh, second place in Chile, it was a remarkable drive, and he, and he got to grips with that car remarkably quickly, Sebastian Loeb, and again, he contributed. He was he was contributing to the team effort, uh, and that's what it's all about. It's about everyone in the team contributing regularly, and that is what Adamo is trying to do, and, and he's for me, he's a breath of fresh air. You know, he speaks mm-hmm. his mind, he's passionate, he's entertaining, he's intelligent, uh, he's controversial, he stands by what he says. He absolutely stands by what he says, and he will tell you straight as you like an answer. Well, sometimes not always straight, uh, but always <laughs> in an entertaining way. Um, and I and I like him. I, I like him. You know, there's, there's there's little room when you're investing tens of millions of dollars, which these top manufacturers are. Um, there's little room for sentiment. You know, there's little room in boardrooms at the end of the season when you have to go and explain to uh, you know, the marketing director, the CEO, the finance director, um, why you're potentially, I don't know the exact figures, but upwards of 60, 70, $80 million, perhaps more of an investment. Why it hasn't returned the championship? You know, there's no room for sentiment in, in those boardrooms. Um, you, know, you have to have solid reasons. And what Adamo is doing is he's doing his best not to have that conversation. He wants to turn up in that boardroom in Korea late on, in November and go, there you go. That is why you've invested hundreds of millions over the past number of years. There's your title, whether it's a driver's title or a manufacturer's. And he's doing absolutely everything he can. And he is different and he is entertaining. And we should all embrace that. You know, we really should because um, I I just think he is a a remarkable character. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the thing with, uh, with, as as a fan, I find it difficult to get to get behind Hyundai because they like chop and change their lineup every every event. But uh, listening to you talk about it, I mean, and uh, the way they're getting their team dialed in, it, it's reminiscent of uh, how M Sport managed it in 2017 with the when Ogier won won his title there and he was backed up by Evans and Tanak. That they, they were supporting him in well, a big what way I'd with say, the points. What I would say is I'd actually this he kinda harkens back to me, back to the specialist era, right? Yeah. Back when we had um, in the mid two thousand or early two thousands and the in the nineties you know, you had, you know, some of these different drivers that would show up to do just a few mm-hmm. rounds, right? Not do the entire championship, the ones that they were best at. And yeah. it feels to me that's kind of the approach Adamo's going for. Yeah, yeah, no, it is. It's, it's a bit of both. You know, it's absolutely a bit of both. You know, we, we, we did very much in 2017 and last year, 2018. Uh, we saw the M Sport support drivers doing everything they were asked to do to support OJ and his quest to win the title. Uh, you know, there's a bit of that going on quite clearly. And there is also arguably a little bit of the specialist driver coming back in. None, none of the drivers that, that, that Adamo's brought in, you would classify as particular specialists but i see exactly what you're saying mike and 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 i agree with you you know uh, back in the days we used to have manufacturers bringing uh, the panizzi's for example you know panizzi and and erve panizzi uh, very much tarmac specialists and you bring them in for for monte carlo for san remo for corsica because you know you would have a chance of winning you would have certain drivers that you would bring in for sweden who were snow specialists Uh, even to the point of rallies like rally gb you would uh, going back into the 80s, you would you would employ British drivers, 
um, to come in on those rallies. We're not quite seeing that sort of specialisation, but you know, I agree with you. what we're looking at now is is, is Breen is the fifth driver this year, and he's he's bringing in drivers to address certain situations. Well, that's certain rallies. I'm not, not sure, but certain situations he's bringing drivers in to address. And uh, you know, Breen was. Uh, you know, for all of us, a little bit of a surprise. Listen, uh, you know, those of us who, who who are around, lucky enough to be around the service park, um, some of us were certainly aware that Breen had been talking to Hyundai and it was an ongoing dialogue with Hyundai, um, but didn't expect, didn't expect Finland. I genuinely thought the choice for Finland was between Hootenen, which surprised me, really, really surprised me. I, I didn't quite understand what was going on with Hootenen. Uh, and Hayden Padden, um, I, I thought it would be a straight choice. You know, Padden in November, early December last year was capable of doing only one rally this year because we, we believe he was offered, or it was discussed. He, he says he wasn't offered, but you then go back and watch a video that, that he put out and he does say he was offered one rally. But anyway, uh, that's semantics. It was discussed, one rally. So Hyundai clearly thought that he could come and do a job for one rally this year. Um, nothing had changed. If anything, you know, Padden was more focused, was uh, was fitter, was was more prepared now than he perhaps would have been at the end of November. Um, so for me, Padden was the obvious choice. And 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 um, when that didn't happen, uh, I was very, very, very surprised, but very uh, pleased for Craig Breen and Paul Nagel oh, because he, he will yeah. go and do a job. You know, and and, and there's you know I talked about it at my last kitchen table. Very difficult, you know. If you're, if you're, you're the scales. If you're balancing the 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 attributes and the the pluses and minuses for Padden and Breen in Finland, uh, you know the scales are more or less sitting even. You know, there's very little between them. Padden, a past winner for Hyundai, clearly knows the team, knows the car. Breen has had a podium in Finland. Uh, you know, develops all the time as a driver. Hasn't as yet fulfilled his full potential as a driver. Um, has been competing, and this is where I believe the uh, you know it was tipped in Breen's favour. You know he's been getting into a variety of cars this year: a Skoda R5, mm-hmm. a Ford R5, a Volkswagen R5, a Mark II Escort, a variety of cars, and winning and competing. Now Padden has been driving unbelievably fast and winning, but you'd argue he's not had to compete because the level in New Zealand, the stages are just quite out of this world, but no one's anywhere near his level. No one is anywhere near his level in New Zealand. And I think perhaps that element of competition readiness for Craig mm-hmm. Breen perhaps just tipped it in his favour. Yeah, I, I mean, that's a fair argument. I, mean, I can see that, uh, you know, yeah, out there in New Zealand, I mean, you still got to push and whatnot, but... You know, you get a comfortable lead. You just do what's comfortable for you. You don't have just somebody pushing you, right? It's all just whatever's comfortable for yourself. No, to be fair to to be fair to Hayden, he recognised that accusation and the potential that that will be levelled at him. And what he does on every single stage of every rally in New Zealand, he sets himself targets. He said because he he holds the record for 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 just about every stage that he run in New Zealand. Um, and he sets himself a target and he says, right, I want to better that stage time. Last year's record by 10 seconds. I want to better that time by six seconds, by seven seconds. On every single stage, he wasn't, he wasn't rallying in New Zealand 
just to win rallies. He was, which he could have done day in, day out. And as you say, he could have won them at the end of the second stage and then just, you know, literally driven through uh, without pace notes and still still won the rally. <laughs> he, he, was there to, to, he was there to personally improve himself and to improve his pace, to improve the car. Because remember, he's very much heavily involved in the development of that AP4 Hyundai in New Zealand. Uh, but more so to develop himself as a driver. And that, that, that is typical of Hayden Padden. He challenges himself and he has challenged himself at every turn since he was a, a teenager. Uh, since I, I remember when he was in the uh, Group N car, and Absolutely. you know he was he was getting WRC points in that thing. Yeah, you know, the regularly. Year that, what was the year that Rossi did Rally New Zealand? That was the first year I think I remember Hayden Padden. He won the New Zealand Championship. He became the youngest winner of the New Zealand Championship in that Group N car, and, and that in itself was a challenge for him to uh, you know to 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 compete at, at that level and to win the championship. And you know there were things like his. His physical ability, you know, he lost half his body weight and he is now the most extreme athlete. He's one of the fittest athletes you will find anywhere. And those kind of, he is driven by setting himself challenges and setting himself targets. And that's what he's been doing this year in New Zealand. But you can't escape that lack of actual competition, of having to fight. Remember when uh, Craig Breen went to Italy and was it San Remo? And he had, to, he had to take something like 15 seconds out of, I think, Campidelli in the last couple of stages. And he knuckled down and he did it. You know, and he, he struggled all weekend. It was the first run in the Skoda. And he struggled, might have been the second rally in the Skoda. He struggled all weekend to get to grips with the car. And he was, he was just clinging on to the coattails of the guys in front. But then, you know, the last day, the last day and a bit, uh, he got to grips with the car and he started making inroads. And he had a, a big job to do in the last couple of stages. And my goodness me, he went about it. And that's invaluable experience. That is competition. That's competing. That's experience of competing. And that is what I think, through no fault of his own, Hayden Padden uh, is lacking right now. But fair play to him. Fair play to him. And fair play to, in particular, Hyundai New Zealand for allowing him to go to Mr. Wilson and say, right, let's do a deal for Finland and afford... Um, and, and it'll be fireworks in Finland. I can't wait to see Padden there. Oh, I think it's going to be. I so think it'll be good, and I think it'll be quick. And yeah, I think the whole thing will be exciting. Um, it, you know, your, your statement there about competition actually brings up just one thing. I was going to say real quick is uh, back with Thierry Neuville. That final stage last year in, in the power stage at in Sardinia, I think it was, wasn't it? Uh, when it was him versus Ogier. Yeah. yeah. And that there, that moment was when Neuville went to elite status for me. Um, yeah. He, when he had, it, it was just, he had the confidence, knew exactly what he could do and overcome Ogier, which is the thing we always knew of Ogier before, right? Um, always having that little bit in reserve and then being able to just, you know, do that little extra mm. uh, that, that you be eventually expected. And Neuville suddenly had this. And it's that competition right there I, I think it, it is kind of like what you're talking about, where you, you know you've got to get this thing done. You've got to have the confidence and, and know where you can push, where you need to be careful, and overcome that uh, that competitor. Yeah, that, that's that's absolutely bang on. I mean, you know, it was it was a remarkable performance. He was four and a half, just under five seconds down, with four stages to go on Sunday, under sixty kilometers, and and it wasn't just 
the fact that he beat Ogier, it was the way he went about it. He took a second more or less per stage, second 1.7, 1.8 seconds in the final stage. Uh, and he did it in a very measured, controlled, impressive way. Uh, and you're right, mentally, it was massive for him. And, uh, you know, if we're talking about drivers who perhaps need those moments of almost self-confirmation, uh, um, perhaps we, we, we need to look back to Sardinia again and the last day in Sardinia this year with Andres Mikkelsen because Mikkelsen did something similar. Perhaps you would argue more impressive on the last day where he was hunting down Elvin Evans and he was, he, was, uh, he was over 10 seconds down and again, exactly the same loop of stages, four stages, just under 60Ks. Um, and he reeled him in. And then yeah, I did. think after, but after the first stage of the morning, he then realizes that the task has doubled because Elvin got 10 seconds back for getting caught in the dust on Saturday. But, but, but uh, Mickelson's head didn't drop. He didn't lose sight of what he had to do. He said, well, fair enough. We've done that 10 seconds in the first couple of stages. We'll do it again in the remaining two stages. And I'll tell you now, those four stages were four of the best stages that Mickelson has ever driven. What's happened in the past? He's tried to up his pace in those situations and it's gone wrong. Mm-hmm. On a number of occasions, it's gone wrong and it's knocked him. It went brilliantly in Sardinia for Mickelson. And, and I hope that's that kind of self-confirmation that Mickelson needs for the remaining season. Because, you know, we, we talk about feeling, uh, you know, a desperate frustration at Yari Mati Latvala. It's very similar with Mickelson. Bags of talent, eminently likable young man. Um, but just not able to put it together for one reason or another over the last few seasons. Uh, really underperformed, it's fair to say, for Hyundai. But but I think now, with that situation in Sardinia, it all goes... And you have to give Adamo credit for this again. You know, he, he, He's dropped him a couple of times this year. The man management, it's hard man management. Mm-hmm. It's harsh at times. It's painful to watch at times. But you can't argue that it's not working. And that performance from Mickelson in Sardinia on that final morning, as good as we've seen from him, if he can now take that into the next, what have we got, six rallies to go towards the end of the year, he could be the big difference between Toyota and Neuville, uh, sorry, between Hyundai and Neuville winning titles or not winning titles. You know, He will contribute to Neuville's challenge if he can continue in that form. He will very much contribute to Hyundai's challenge. Uh, we'll keep our fingers crossed that, that, that that's the case for Mickelson because, you know what, he, he really deserves it. He's had some hard times, he's had some knocks. And, uh, you know, he's one of those drivers you would love to see elevating themselves into that elite status. I, I always remember back to uh, a, a proverb that, that you almost created um, back when Mickelson won the Intercontinental Rally Challenge. And uh, yeah. you, your qu- great quote there was, as the sun sets, a star, a star rises. rises. And it was just yeah. so beautifully done as he came to that finish in the Skoda. And we just knew there's something there. And, uh, yeah, just just waiting for that all-click. Still makes the hair stand up on the back of my neck. That was one of one of, one of the great moments, one of my great moments. That I, I, I just, it was just magnificent. Uh, you know, he was a long way behind that year in that championship. And uh, and he, uh, he put it together in the last two or three rounds. And it was great to watch. And, yeah, I remember standing on that hillside in Cyprus, um, just watching him. You could see one of those quite rare, unfortunately, stop lines where you could see the cars for about a kilometre or so, a kilometre and a half. Uh, and at that point, we thought, this is it. He's announcing himself. And, and he's maybe not quite 
you know, what's he had three wins, four wins in his career. Um, and that is, you know, it stands, you know, that stands on its own as, as, as achievements. Uh, but he's maybe not quite achieved yet what we all thought he could achieve. At that moment in Cyprus, we thought, this is it. He's going to kick on. He's going to, he's going to become a regular challenger for world titles. And he may win multiple world titles. He's still young enough. He's now got bucket loads of experience. And, uh, and it just needs just something to click with Mickelson. And he will be a regular contender. And, and I'm keeping my fingers crossed that Sunday morning in Sardinia was just that little click that he needed just to get him right back into top gear again. I don't really need to say much about Loeb because it's just Loeb. It, it's what he does, right? Um, but one thing I do must say is, you know, you're talking about the many years of, of him just being, you know, so dominant, yet I enjoy him so much more now. He's so relaxed. He's so interactive, so fun. Yeah. Um, ever, ever since pretty much his official retirement year up through now, has been just such a joy to to watch him and, and hear from him. He seems like such a happy guy now. Well, he's clearly in a different a different phase of his life, isn't he? You know, he's, he's achieved everything. He doesn't have to prove anything. He is the greatest driver we've ever had. Um, but I totally agree with you. You know, there was a time where, well, that's a terrible thing to say, but we were getting bored. We were getting bored, and it uh, certainly it, we were. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, and, and 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 sadly, we were getting bored with Loeb. Uh, you know, which is wrong. When you look back and you think that is 100% wrong, what we should have been doing is reveling in his brilliance. But as we mentioned earlier, dominance is never a good thing. But things begin begun to change for Loeb when Ogier came on the scene. And I, and I saw that. I saw the attitude towards Loeb changing there when Ogier came on and he was the cocky young thing, wasn't he? And, um, and he was given equal status one year. Ogier had won nothing. Loeb had won six titles. Mr. Connell was the boss at Citroen at the time, and it was the most baffling, baffling decision I think I've seen in, in, in all the time I've been in rallying. Uh, you know, he gives equal status to young Ogier and six times world champion Loeb, and a lot of people looked at him and went, that's not right. Uh, and it, and it, 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 you know, the public opinion towards Loeb at that point changed, and it was like, you know, Seb, just go and, Seb, Loeb, just go and show young Ogier who is the boss, who is the greatest of all time. And he did, he did that year, uh, and, it, and it was it was again it was entertaining. You know, to be fair, Mr. Cannell was another one who was a wee bit different, um, and did things differently and said things differently, and, and and we like a bit of variety and we like characters. But that decision was quite baffling. But it did change, or it did begin to change the public's perception of Loeb in a very positive way. Um, and you're right, since he came back, he's been an absolute delight, and that win in Spain. That was one of the greatest stories in motorsport, never mind in rallying. Um, And equally in Chile, you know, you you looked at his shakedown times and I thought they were wrong. I didn't arrive till Chile until, I think it was the Thursday morning. I arrived at the airport and I I had a look on my phone at the shakedown times. and I looked at Loeb's and I thought, that must be wrong. That is so slow. He must have had a problem. But no, he was struggling with the car the same way that in the past Sordo and Mickelson have struggled with the car. Uh, But what a very, very, very big difference is that Loeb then used every single ounce of his experience uh, to work with the engineers, to work with the car, to understand the car. And at the end of the first loop on Friday morning, 35 seconds down. Whether he finished the rally, Mm. 31 seconds or so behind Tanak's win. Uh, He just, you know, you take out that, that learning period in those first three stages, and Loeb was the class act in Rally Chile. And it was a remarkable 
demonstration of really how to get your head down, how to use your experience, how to work with the car, the engineers, the management, and to work through problems rather than just chucking your toys out the pram and saying this car's undrivable to say, well, you know what? It is drivable. I just have to work out how to drive it. And Chile was quite incredible. And, and in some ways, a more impressive drive than for me, the win in Spain was Spain was very particular and he used again his experience with, yeah, with exactly insight. Chile when nobody knew anything. It was brand new for nobody everyone. Used, nobody used anything and he went at it and he uh he was incredible. So yeah, you know, what can we say about him? You know, he is a massive asset to the team. What what a what a reserve driver to have in your team. I mean, if you want to reserve, there is no better reserve driver. So um Citroen, they've they've struggled a bit. Uh, you could say in, in uh, years past, back when they're especially when uh, when Meek was there, um, management changes, budget differences. Um, Budar comes in. I, if I'm pronouncing that one right, don't know. Yeah, you are. That's perfect. <laughs> Almost strange. <right. laughs> uh, it seems like they've been turning a corner, albeit it seems like it's still kind of slow to come to get that car right. Um, they've got Ogier on board now. Are we starting to see that impact? Do you think? Or is it just Ogier being Ogier? Why they've had some success? No, it's it's more or less almost at a hundred percent Ogier. It certainly isn't a hundred percent Ogier, uh, but Ogier's tenacity, Ogier's resilience, Ogier's experience is why he is only what four points off the lead of the championship. Um, there are issues with that car, and we saw them in Sardinia. You know, the, the, it's the geometry of the car that just isn't quite right, and. You know, I do remember, I, I went to a test in Monte Carlo. It was the first Monte Carlo tarmac test for both Lappi and Ogier. And I asked Lappi in particular about the difference with the Toyota and the Citroën. And he said a lot of it's to do with the vision. He said the Toyota you know, was, was nose down all the time and you could see everything out the Toyota. The problem with the Citroën was the nose keeps pitching up. It's quite high anyway. And it's very difficult to actually at times see out the car. And we saw that in Sardinia, and, and you know, that's part of the reason. Oje was kind of guessing. He absolutely 100% knew that enormous rock was there. But his rally driver instinct said, I have to get within millimeters of that rock, which is all well and good and works every single time when you can see the rock. When you can't see the rock and you're guessing more or less where it is, um, you know, to get the apex and to get within millimeters of the rock um, is fraught with danger, as we saw. And, and that's to do with the fact that the geometry of the car isn't quite right. Now, there are changes, and Ogier told me this in Sardinia, there are changes that they're looking at for Finland that will make that car much more drivable. And that, again, must be quite worrying for his competitors because you know, he, he has been unbelievably good this year, Ogier. Don't underestimate what Ogier has done. The Citroen is a particular beast. And in the right conditions... It is incredible, and we've seen it in particular on tarmac. Uh, it is unbelievably fast, but it's got a very, very narrow operating window. And you go outside of that optimum operating window, and it's difficult to handle. You're inside that operating window, and it's an absolutely beautiful car to drive, and it's perhaps the fastest car there. What Ogier wants is more drivability across more conditions, and a lot of that's to do with the geometry, and there are... Uh, I believe there are some homologations ahead that will address that issue. And, you know, the big difference for me this year with Ogier has been his ability to to knuckle down, yes, to consistently score podiums, 
but also to score power stage points. He scored most power stage points at this year than he has at this at this year at this point than he has the last couple of years at this point. He's been there and he's used tactics at times to make sure he's in the best position to score power stage points. Um, but his power stage performance on top of his tenacity in terms of you know the, the rallies themselves is why Ogier is right there and you cannot, you cannot bet against him or right can bet against him. You can't write him off, that's for sure, in terms of the driver's title this year. You know, one thing that I've really enjoyed about Ogier, um, and and, and, I'm, and Loeb did this too, but I think his just domination kind of clouded my vision of it for a while, but Ogier elevates everybody around him. Mm-hmm. But but I also see him being one that uh, he's kind of a leader of other drive, of all the drivers. Um, yeah, yeah. There, there isn't really a driver's union, but he's one that really you know, does keep everyone together to, you know, when there's issues or whatever and, and be part of that kind of a, a a movement for all of them. And that level that he just brings everybody up to, even though he's been, he's got so many championships now, there's this level of appreciation I think we have for that. It, it is a really, really critical observation, Mike, that he does elevate those around him. And why does he elevate those around him? Because he is so demanding. He demands he sets his standards so high and his level of uh, expectation in terms of delivery is right at the very top. And it's it's from everyone. It's from everyone in the team. You know, Everyone has to up their game to keep up with Ogier. And they know? want to do it, right? If, if, it's not just you, that they, they have to because he's requesting it, but he, he inspires them. Inspires, inspires, that's the because, word, yeah. Because he's not, he's, not, he's, not, he's not a petulant type of driver who you know, is demanding and then doesn't deliver. And then when he doesn't deliver, blames someone else. You know, Ogier delivers every time. And he sets that standard, he sets that bar so high uh, that, you know, if you want to be part of Ogier's team, if you want to be in the inner circle, you know, uh, you can't be delivering anything less than 100%. And as I say, that is everyone, everyone in the team, from the team boss. You know, I think Malcolm Wilson would say that he improved as a team boss Mm -hmm. managing Ogier. Because he had to, because Ogier demanded that of Mr. Wilson. He demanded it of his chief engineer, of his mechanics, uh, you know, of everyone around him in the team. Uh, and that is the sign of a great champion and that people have faith in him. You know, well, the last thing, the, the most frustrating thing in the world is when someone delivers, the, the, you know, it promises you all sorts of things and you put a huge amount of effort in. And then, you know, the person who you've put your faith in under delivers, doesn't deliver, but you've done everything you can, you know, and that's frustrating. That doesn't happen with OJ. OJ tells you, you do this, you up your game, and I will deliver for you. You will give me the tools to allow me to deliver, and he does. And that is a very, very big difference between him and uh, drivers over the years. You know, he, he is a true champion and he is you know we talk about Ogier sorry Loeb being the greatest driver ever and right now Loeb very much is the greatest driver ever Ogier Ogier is putting in a very 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 good argument for him being the greatest driver ever remember you know Loeb won all of his titles in a Citroen you know Ogier is is heading towards Volkswagen Ford perhaps Citroen even with what would it be eight titles how many has he won now six or seven Six titles um, with uh, seven titles to, to Loeb's nine, seven in three different manufacturers. Would that make him the greatest driver of all time? What a debate that would be. 
I, I, I can't <laughs> help but agree. Um, the um, talking back about uh, you know Citroen as a team, you know, with Ogier there, um, obviously Lappy on the team as well. Uh, do you think? I guess is the how do I put it? The corporate style of the team has it started to make adjustments as well since Ogier's been there? Because uh, you know, again, they've been kind of going through this uh, these changes that was kind of a dramatic one uh, when kind of the the team kind of reinvented itself um, a, a while back. Then Budar came on board and he started kind of bringing things back to the Citroen that that we knew before, but not quite with the same budget but trying to get, I think, back to uh, the performance we used to see with Citroen. Yeah, listen, every team has its own uh, quite unique style, doesn't it? And every team has its own characteristics and every team has its own ethos um, uh, and operating style. And uh, yeah, you know, in the, the glory days for Citroen, they were a French team, French tires and a French driver. They went through a few seasons where there's no French driver there, and clearly having Ogier back there um, has allowed them, if you like, to once again rediscover what Citroen, in terms of Citroen racing, is all about, and to put all of that uh, into allowing Ogier to uh, challenge for the title. There are more fundamental issues, though, and the, the fundamental issues are the engineering issues with the car. But Boudar is an engineer, and, and again, you know, I talk about... Adamo being a character. Um, Boudar is the polar opposite. He's very quiet. He's very calculating. Uh, but he is an engineer, and he does things with an engineer's logic. Um, and and you know he will get things right. You know if you the problem with the team is not the driver. The problem with the team is not the team structure. The problem with the team is not motivation. The problem with the team right now is that the car and the engineering of the car isn't quite right. So what better person to have in charge than a vastly experienced engineer? Boudar will take it personally if they can't get that car right. And I am certain we will see a major step forward when we get to Finland in terms of the drivability of that car. And a lot of that will be driven by, by Monsieur Boudar. He is impressive, but, but polar opposite to Mr. Adamo in, in the way he presents himself, in his style, in his manner of operating. But equally impressive in his own quiet way yeah it's a strange thing about citroen for me this year it's like it's it's the citroen centenary it's the centenary of the citroen motor company mm. isn't it and i thought they would be they would ha have more of a presence here than just having like a, a, a very it seems like a very quiet two-car outfit in a, in a way yeah, it doesn't well, seem do like know... it's big enough for what it's what what citroen uh, citroen's history yeah, yeah, I, I see that. I see, I see where you're coming from with that one. Ian. It's, 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 it's. Um, you know, I, I suppose you know, it's a hundred years of Citroen. It's not necessarily a hundred years of the Citroen World Rally team. No. Um, so I suppose there are other things going on within the, the Citroen group. Uh, and don't forget that it is a hundred years of Citroen. But what we have on the stages is a DS. Um, you know, and they very much split those two brands up, didn't they? You know, we, most consumers still see the two as being more or less interchangeable, don't they, Citroen and DS? Um, so maybe that plays a small part in it. But I think perhaps more than that is the economic reality of, of yeah. uh, you know, the situation just now. You know, there is barely a car manufacturer around that has spare cash to throw at anything. You know, it's such a competitive market. Um, they're, they're all going through a critical period with this 
this evolution to electric hybrid vehicles. There's massive investment going into that side of things. You know, if the car manufacturers get that wrong just now, potentially they're out of business in 10 years' time. So, you know, there isn't huge amounts of uh, peripheries around the mm-hmm. Citroen team just now, and and, and, and and that's understandable, you know. Um, you know, we see it with M Sport. Listen, you know, you go to the service park and... M Sport, the, the the whole service park and what goes on around M Sport, an entirely different situation because they're a private team, but it's all very functional. You know, they're, they're, you know, you haven't got um, uh, you know, promotions girls and massive corporate hospitality areas or anything like that because it's unnecessary. You know, M Sport spend their money where it's necessary, and that is on the engineering side, on the team side, on the performance side, uh, and it's similar in some ways to Citroen. What will happen is Citroen will make. And as they do, you know, he's won two rallies this year, Ogier, and they've made a tremendous amount of noise about those two wins. And I suspect that should he win the driver's title, that is when we will see Citroen in their hundredth year fully embracing uh, what Ogier mm-hmm. has done this year. Should he win it? Uh, it's far from certain, but should he win it this year? So, so you, you were mentioning that we're about Ogier bringing on everybody around him we saw him do that with like evans at m sport and tannock as well do you think he's having an effect on lappy uh, well lappy has to just get him get his own uh he needs to sort himself out first lappy is just struggling with confidence which two or three years ago you'd never have said that lappy mm-hmm. lappy was the most precocious of talents uh, and a driver i've always always admired um He's another one of those that has raw ability, raw speed, uh, and massive, massive potential. You know, Sardinia two years ago, uh, when he burst onto the scene, he won stages, four or five stages, then went to Finland, won Finland, and we thought, wow, this is explosive. You know, an explosive debut in a world rally car, and it's gone backwards, and it's rapidly going backwards since then. And with then. those wins, he just seemed relaxed. Like, yeah, this is just what I do. Yeah, this is what you I know? do. You know, and, and things changed <laughs> towards the end of that. Now. Yeah, very, very different. Things changed towards the end of that year. Um, and he's not managed to reverse the sliders yet. I think he can, and we've seen it with other drivers, because he does have that ability. Um, but, you know, there's been a lot going on, the change, the move from Toyota to Citroen. Um, for a while, you know, the deal was done with Citroen, we believe, Oh, relatively, maybe, maybe, maybe not halfway through last year, but certainly um, within uh, two or three months at the end of last year. And when the deal was done, Lappy would have potentially thought that I will be the number one driver in the team. That all changed clearly when Ogier became available, when Ogier was ultimately signed by Citroen. You know, the car then is Ogier's car to develop. Um, and I'm not saying that there's any any. There's no friction at all between Ogier and Lappy, and Lappy will be using all of Ogier's experience and ability to try and develop his driving. But but things changed. There was some, some it was quite tumultuous change for Lappy over the past year or so. And and you know when you've got such enormous change, and you are struggling with confidence anyway, it then becomes doubly difficult. So he needs to get himself right first, Esapeka Lappy. He needs to find some consistency. He needs to find some pace. He needs to find the right mental place. Uh, and then then he can start pushing on. Then he can start feeding off of Ogier. Then he can start developing as a world-class driver. <laughs> well, um, then I guess uh, finally moving on to M-Sport. Um, 
wow, uh, that team has done some amazing things the last two seasons. Obviously, losing Ogier was was a pretty tough thing. But uh, was it Richard Miller um, who's taken over from Malcolm as being the team principal there? And it seems like uh, they've done quite well under his uh, tutelage. And uh, it seems quite comfortable in the position. And we haven't seen much from Malcolm, though. Uh, have you seen or heard from Malcolm in a while? I know he's been around events here and there, but of course their M-Sport has kind of grown into doing all these other things. they got the Bentley, the sports car thing they're doing. They've got, uh, what, the, the Polish division that's doing the R2 cars. And of course, you know, engineering the new R5 and all these different things going on, as well as trying to run that WRC team. They have just such a different outlook, I think, from uh, the other manufacturers, because they're whole job is to sell cars that they build versus it being a Ford-backed outfit. Yeah, you know, M-Sport is a completely different setup to uh, the Citroen, Hyundai, and Toyota setup. You know, they are a private team, effectively. Uh, you know, Malcolm has been around, and he, he was in uh, Sardinia on the last rally, and he is very much still the boss. <laughs> You're very, very much still the boss. Richard Milner is the team principal and doing a great job uh, Richard's been around for a few years now, and, and he's an impressive young man. He really is an enormously impressive young man and doing a great job. But at the end of the day, you know, the boss of M-Sport, Milner is the principal, team principal for the rally team, but the boss of M-Sport is still very much Malcolm Wilson. And as you say, Mike, it's an enormously busy time for them. You know, they're, they're, they're running the Bentleys. They're also running, remember, the Jaguars in the, the E-Series uh, oh, around the right. world. They've built, or they're in the process of building this 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 incredible test track and uh, excellent centre up at Dovenby Hall. Uh, you know the new R5 car, critical to the to the company, and that seems to be an absolute flyer of a machine. It really does. But as well as the R5 car, the new R1 car, the R2 car, there is so much going on uh, that yeah, Malcolm Wilson clearly has had to uh, delegate some of his responsibilities out. But you know he is still the boss. But you know a, a tough year in some ways for M Sport. They should have won Corsica. You know just heartbreaking. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. That Evans after the best performance of his life, better I think than Ian, the one that you saw, the one yeah. in Wales in 2017. Because there'll always be questions. I mean. Evans drove in 2017 on Rally GB a faultless rally, and he drove the car brilliantly, and he drove it brilliantly quickly. But there'll always be those that say, well, he had those DMAC tires on, and the DMAC tires were, for that event, miles better than the Michelin's. I'm, I'm not one that goes along with that. You know, Evans drove a brilliant rally, but I think Corsica was a better rally by a long shot, a long, long shot. Um, and it was it was heartbreaking to see that puncture on the final stage for Evans. But, you know, the, the car has again proved itself. You know, uh, Sunanen winning stages. Sweden, they won between Sunanen and Evans a number of stages. Um, you know, Evans pops up and wins stages on just about every rally. Uh, can he win an event this year? Yes, he can. Yes, he can win an event this year, Elvin Evans, as can Sunanen. You know, if Sunanen is in the right place for Finland, he will be a contender, that's for sure. Um, it is incredible, you know, uh, you know for, for, for when you think of the budgets that are being spent in particular by Toyota and Hyundai, and you look at the performance of the M-Sport car, the M-Sport car is quite remarkable. It, it is capable of winning stages and rallies anywhere, anywhere. It doesn't have a weak event. It doesn't have a weak surface. It doesn't have conditions that it doesn't work well under. It may not ultimately be the fastest car out there, 
but it is the most reliable, the most consistent car. And if it's not quite as fast as the Toyota, it's bloody close to it. Mm-hmm. And on tarmac, well, it may well be a match and perhaps a fraction better than the Toyota. So on balance, that car is remarkable. And when you think that it is a private car, that you know, yes, there's Ford backing in terms of the development of the car, and not 100% backing by any stretch of the imagination, but Ford do help with some of the engineering development. But ultimately, it's still a private team, a private car, and they're not just you know, hanging on to the coattails. These guys are setting the standards you know, for the World Rally car, and it's a, a phenomenal, phenomenal story, and one that I think at times it's easy to forget about. You know, if you can imagine Formula One with effectively a private team in Formula One, yeah. you're competing yeah. at the very top, winning mm-hmm. races, winning championships, impossible, impossible to do. Malcolm and who's Wilson, always been there when the times have been tight with the WRC? They, mm-hmm. They've been around. Mm-hmm. Well, they, they, you know, they, they kept the WRC alive during the very dark days. You know, we, we, had, we had a, a very difficult period in the, uh, um, you know, the late noughties, uh, you know, the early 2010, 2011, mm-hmm. 2012, you know, and, and it, uh, for a while it was just M Sport and, uh, and Citroen, wasn't it? Yes, it um, was. <laughs> you know, and, and even when M Sport then effectively became a private team, Malcolm stuck at it. And, you know, we saw, we've seen there are many examples of, of uh, very good, effectively, preparation companies, ProDriver, one of them. Um, you know, many, many examples where when they lose the manufacturer backing, that's it. You know, they're more or less out and, and they, they disappear off into obscurity. Not that ProDrive have. ProDrive have diversified and gone from strength to strength in other areas. Um, but not Malcolm Wilson and not M Sport. You know, they saw it as a challenge, an opportunity. The R5 came along at exactly the right time for M-Sport, and they built a brilliant car, and they massively oversold it. Massively. I think their budget was some, somewhere around about 46, 47 R5 cars originally, and they sold in excess of 260 of them. An amazing <laughs> Isn't it crazy? An amazing, amazing <laughs> yeah. success story. They, 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 they really um, uh, dominate, uh, dominated certainly the R5 market. And, and, you're, and, and that's down to, it is all down to one man. It is, it is a team, it is a family for sure, but it is driven by one man and one woman, Mr. and Mrs. Wilson. <laughs> uh, they, are, they are a formidable partnership um, who, uh, you know, you talk about work ethic, you talk about tenacity, you talk about, uh, you know, people that, that, um, that make hard decisions and, and it's all there. It's all there with the Wilsons and the, um, they, they do it, well, they, you know, they do it for many reasons, but one is their, their love of the sport and their commitment to the sport. And um, the sport would be a far poorer place if the Wilsons weren't here. Mm, for sure, yeah. So um, Gus Greensmith has been, uh, had a couple of, well, he's, it, was in the R, it was in the R5 and he's had a go in the WRC car as well. Do you think uh, Malcolm's grooming him for the future? Yeah, and, and rightly so. You know, I, I found a picture on, again, um, well, it was Facebook Memories, I think. It was um, Nicky Gris Stages, which is what you boys are stopping me from heading off towards. I'm going to miss the oh. first stages, the first steps. Oh. Not, not that I'm working. I'm just passing through and stopping just to say hello to a few people. So <laughs> if I'd been working, I'd have said goodbye to you an hour ago. Um, but, um, 
uh, yeah, you know, um, Nicky Gross stages three years ago, 2016, and it was a very fresh-faced Green Smith next to an R2 car. And at that point, he uh, nobody in the World Championship knew anything of him. He was doing the odd round, um, but he was competing in the Junior British Championship with uh, one of your um, countrymen, almost countrymen, Alex, Alex Gelsomino. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and, and, he, and he, you know, he's always shown pace, Green Smith, but his issue has been consistency. Uh, but his pace has always been there. And, uh, you know, the R5 car, again, at times he's been really quick. At times uh, he's made too many mistakes. But, but my goodness me, he's always had the pace. And we saw that. And what we know about these new generation World Rally cars is that they are actually quite difficult to drive. You can't go in and drive them at much less than 99%. You know, 99% is the absolute margin. You know, they operate best at 100% with the amount of aerodynamics on them. You know, we saw Pontus Tiedemann really struggling at the start of the year to get to grips with it. Greensmith came in and he was quick and he was consistent. Uh, and yeah, you know, there was that unfortunate mistake on the last day. But I don't really know what happened there. You know, we've still not been told exactly what happened. Something broke in the air. Something broke before that jump on Faf. Um, now, whether it broke because he hit something or who knows. But we should really take that out of our analysis of Greensmith's performance and say he did incredibly well. And if that if that is a starting point for him to build on, what a starting point he's established. Uh, and if he can build on it and get more outings, uh, build his consistency, build his pace, who knows where Greensmith can go to. And that's the exciting thing about Greensmith is we really don't know how far he can go. He's got the backing. He's got, obviously, the confidence of Malcolm. He's got the backing of his dad and some budget. Uh, how far he can go, let's wait and see. But he's set himself up nicely with some very, very solid... Uh, he's, he's built solid foundations to build a proper career at the top on. You know, I think we've already kind of talked a little bit about Evans and Sunanen, and, and we think of their potential and whatnot. Uh, kind of in closing, I wanted to talk a little bit about the future of the WRC, and some of that is that young talent like Greensmith. But there's two other uh, young talents, um, young Cali Ravenpera... And Oliver Solberg. Mm. Kelly, well, he's leading WRC2 already, isn't he? He is. He is. Robin Perra gets better and better. Um, yeah, prodigious talent. Prodigious talent. Both of those two youngsters. Oliver Solberg, a different route. You know, slightly more low-key route uh, to the top. And don't forget that Oliver Solberg is still only 17. Um, you know, very, very much under the guidance of his dad. And his dad is in, let me tell you, no rush to put him into a world rally car. He understands the value of learning your craft. I spent a day with him, actually, uh, about a month or so ago. Um, and what surprised me in some ways was um, Petter's focus on pace notes. Absolutely focused. Wasn't, I don't think I heard him talking to his boy once about driving techniques, about how to... And th- this was, remember, young Solberg's first outing on GB Gravel. It was at Sweet mm-hmm. Lamp. Mm-hmm. And all that Petter was focused on was pace notes. And he was absolutely adamant. He obviously understands that his boy has the speed, he has the talent. That comes naturally. But it's the, it's the elements that you put around that natural talent and understanding how to get the best out of your pace notes, how to make the best pace notes. Um, you know, that is not natural talent. That is learned talent. And that could be the difference going forward in terms of these drivers, because, you know, the likes of Rovenpera, the likes of Solberg, they have a natural ability quite clearly, um, which will which will allow them to drive very, very, very fast. 
But they've also got, though, at their age, more experience than many other drivers do at they have that opportunity. age, right? Right, because they have opportunity. Because of the name, they have opportunity. But they're making the most of that opportunity. But what will, what will make them stand out, as I say, is, is not necessarily that God-given talent. It's that learned talent. And the learned talent is, is your rally craft, how you understand situations, how you adapt to situations, how re you react to situations. But on top of that, you know, the learn side of rallying, which is pace notes, working with the team, all of those things. And that clearly is what Petter Solberg recognizes and what he is focusing his efforts in terms of his young lad on. And as I say, no rush whatsoever. Uh, I don't know if you've seen, Mike, Ian, the footage of young Oliver up the hill at Goodwood in the Citroen supercar. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. It, oh, is, wow. it <laughs> is the most astonishing drive. And, and all the time, for all of that 44, 45 seconds, you have to remind yourself, it's a 17-year-old spotty youth driving that car, <laughs> driving that car, because it is, it is just sublime instinctive ability that mm -hmm. allows him to control that car up that hill at those speeds. Phenomenal, phenomenal stuff. And, you know, yeah, th those two will be around and they will compete and they will be world champions. There's another name that you've got to throw into the mix as well, uh, you know, that, that is yet really to pop his head up above the barricades. Uh, and that is young, uh, young McRae. Uh, there is a, a next generation McRae beginning to make a few waves in Australia. Young, uh, ah, uh, forgive yeah. me, I forget his first name, but it's Alistair McRae's lad. Um, and I suspect... I suspect that in the next year or two years, we will start to see young McRae uh, beginning to uh, develop his talents and making a name for himself as well. So, you know, you can understand, you know, there are other young drivers out there who don't have the association, they don't have the family name, who struggle to find the backing, who are equally talented. And it must be very frustrating for them. But, you know, from our point of view, we just want to see young, talented drivers. And mm -hmm. the fact that, you know, they're young, talented sons of, of sporting legends. Well, you know, that's, that's, that's just the reality of the situation. You know, you will get more opportunities as young Solberg has in America this year with the yeah. Subaru America because oh of your dad, yeah. you know, uh, and that's, that's, that's the reality of it. And, and, um, and as long as those boys are showing that they are deserving and making the most of the opportunity that they have, then we'll go along with the ride for them because it's exciting as hell. What I will yeah. say about uh, Oliver's climb up that hill is like there was this little YouTube clip that says, you know, uh, Oliver Solberg, you know, almost crashes or whatever on his trip. It's like, no, no, I've seen this kid drive. <laughs> that is completely under control. He oh. knows where he can slide it and where he can, where he needs to get the grip. That whole entire run was 100% under control the whole time. And, and well, it, it was under control, and, and the thing it was, it was a rallycross car we're talking about, um, you know. So you know, they, they are difficult beasts. There's 600 plus horsepower uh, in that car, and it was on the edge. But what is interesting is that a 17 year old could recognise when the car was on the edge and could instinctively adjust, instinctively mm -hmm. adjust to it, instinctively control it. To the point where you're right, Mike. You know, he was nowhere near crashing because he knew exactly what he was doing and how to absolutely get the most out of that car. For a 17-year-old, for me, you know, yeah, he's done some amazing things in the stages, but um, to a wider audience, and and let me tell you. 
that both the Stolbergs went down an absolute storm at Goodwood. You know, some of the greatest names that motorsport has ever seen attend Goodwood every year. The biggest stars were the Solbergs this year. No question about that. Uh, and Oliver Solberg, you know, was, was the one that had everyone talking, particularly after that run up the hill. It was it was utterly, utterly sublime. Uh, just just brilliant to watch. Is, is Petter still your favourite? Always will be. Always, always <laughs> will be. And my greatest regret or my greatest disappointment in, in stage ends is that I was never at a stage end when Petter won a rally. Um you know, he, 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 okay, you can say I was I was there when he won that tragic Wales Rally GB that year, yeah. but that 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 he doesn't take that as a win. Uh, but um, his last proper win in the championship was Mexico 2005, which was the last rally that was done without me. <laughs> so I joined in, <laughs> I joined in Cyprus, which was uh, the rally after that. And yeah, my biggest disappointment was is is, is not having had the opportunity to. Um, uh, to stand with Petra at a stop line and enjoy that moment, but but I think if I manage to hang on long enough, and it might not be that much longer, uh, you know, I might celebrate uh, a rally win with a Solberg, and it might well be Oliver Solberg, and it might not be that many years in front of us. Well, well I got uh, to be there at uh, stage end when, or, or at the at the finish anyway, uh, when Oliver won his first ever four wheel drive gravel event at Olympus, and. The whole family there. Uh, Pernilla, she's amazing too. Just that whole family. Just, there's something special. And yeah, they are. They are. I, I, it, it's just so cool. Um, mm -hmm. Ian, you were going to say something? Yeah, I was just thinking, you know, with, with, when you're saying that uh, Petter wants Oliver to learn, learn the craft, and uh, I think we could be lucky. We might be seeing uh, Oliver in America for a, a couple. We can hope we'll be seeing Oliver in America for a couple more years while he learns his craft. Absolutely, and, and and I get that feeling. I get the feeling that uh, that that's the direction that Petter is going in. He, he absolutely, as I say, seems to be in no rush whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Listen, there's 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 a, there's absolute value in getting onto the ladder in the WRC and learning your craft in the WRC, and that you know, much as he will learn his ability to to make great pace notes, to cope with gravel, uh, to deal with you know the craft of of, of uh, winning. Which, which in its own right is not easy. You'll get all of that in the States. He won't ever do a rally in the States that will feature in the World Rally Championship. Um, and and that, that is the value in getting into uh, you know, junior WRC, into the uh, WRC2, uh, is that you know, you're, you're doing events that ultimately will feature in your efforts to win a world title. Uh, so you know, whether or not we'll see him in WRC2 next year, um, I'm uncertain, but I, I suspect much as better in no rush to get him into a world rally car. We might well see him doing a number of rounds in WRC two next year, but he will continue for sure. Well, I think to do, as you're saying, you know, the American championship, uh, other rounds um, to just, just quietly and, uh, you know, and, and, and uh, yeah, quietly learn what is required to then go on and win in the World Rally Championship. So, yeah, they're, do, they're doing things in a slightly different way, but a, a very impressive way indeed. All right. Uh, the last kind of bit that I want to talk about, and I know what you have to get going, but uh, recently there was the uh, 
the FIA um, had their World Motorsports Council, the Council meeting, and they talked about the future of the WRC and things coming in 2022. One of those was the announcement of hybridization. Um, I, I don't. I I actually really like hybrid as a concept. Full electric. I sound is such a thing with motorsports, and Formula E yeah. just doesn't do it for me. I'm. Don't know how they're going to overcome that issue. Plus, it's a safety issue for me too. But I just wanted some quick thoughts on uh, on that future uh, hybridization, and then going forward to maybe full electric. Well, you know, as we talked about earlier on, Mike, it's all about the manufacturers, and it is obvious they are spending billions on uh, you know uh, on uh, changing over their production to hybrid to electric, preparing for an electric future. We can't ignore that. In fact, what we have to do is we have to be at the technological forefront of developing these technologies for the manufacturers. There is no better test bed than the World Rally Championship. It is such an enormous opportunity for rallying once again to be at the cutting edge of automotive innovation. It really is an enormous opportunity. You know, If they can come up with a hybrid system, it's all well and good coming up with a battery that will do you 50 laps at whatever, three kilometers a lap, you know, and, and that in itself is relatively impressive. But if you can come up with a hybrid stroke full electric system that as well as working in 40 degrees of Sardinian heat works in minus 35 degrees of Sweden that allows you to compete on the uh, toughest, uh, most demanding stages of Turkey, of Argentina. If you can do all of those, then you you have a massive, massive selling point for the manufacturers if they can prove their technology in those demanding conditions uh, you know yes i get what you're saying about losing certain elements the sound is something they will have to work on and i'm quite surprised that they haven't come up with some synthesized sound for for the epre uh you know it sounds slightly mad it's like well why would we want that well you know we what does the sound give us it gives us the throttle it gives us the throttle and the brake um yeah, it gives us the engine sound, but it, but it, you know, in terms of what we're trying to work out and what we're hearing, uh, we're hearing what the drivers are doing with the throttle. Well, you can come up with a synthesized throttle and braking sound. There's absolutely no question about that. Uh, you know, and 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 for rallying, it would be essential. You're right. You can't have silent rally cars running through the forests and running through the stages. That, from a, a spectator and a safety point of view, is an absolute no-no. They will have to come up with a synthesized alternative. Um, that allows electric. But listen, it might not be electric. In 10 years' time, it could be a completely different uh, solution that we're looking at. Uh, but who knows? What, what is important is that we embrace, that we do not put up barriers to the manufacturer saying, well, you know, there's just so much opposition within rallying to uh, these new technologies. We're not going to go there. We have to embrace them. We have to be positive. We have to say, yes, we understand uh, you know, if we're dinosaurs, then we die like the dinosaurs. You know, if we have dinosaur yeah. views, which sadly a number of people in rallying do, thankfully the people at the very top don't, and they're very progressive. Uh, but we have to forget about this. You know, rallying has to be a progressive sport, and it isn't a progressive sport. It has changed over the decades. It will continue to change. What we have to do um, is we have to be part of the debate about how it changes. If we want a say in how it changes, then we have to take part in constructive and open and fair debate. It is no good setting your barriers out and saying, no, nah, I don't like this. I'm not. I'm taking my toys away from here. I don't like it. That is no good because things will happen then that we have no say on that we really don't like.
We have to be part of the discussion, the debate, the process, and we have to embrace it. We absolutely have to embrace it. And if we do embrace it and the championship gets it right, the FIA gets it right, the manufacturers will flock to WRC. It will be the perfect, perfect testbed for future technological innovations in motorsport. And for me, it's exciting as hell, but we all have to embrace it. You just did a a perfect lead-in for me. God, I love the passion, by the way. But (laughs) the perfect lead-in to the thing that a lot of people haven't talked about, which is a little subset of what came out from that announcement, which is the the Motorsports Council said manufacturers will be allowed to use production body shell or a Mm -hmm. prototype tubular structure starting in 2022 to current wrc size guidelines while the faa is set to define carryover elements from production vehicles for key visual elements there will also be an option for scaling Mm -hmm. of the body within prescribed limits to allow larger cars to uh, comply with dimension targets so who's the manufacturer they're trying to get with this Well, you know, what it's saying to the manufacturers who currently don't have a car within the right segment is don't worry about it. You know, if you've got uh, cars that are too small, you can upscale them. If you've got cars that are too big, you can downscale them. Uh, I don't think it's one manufacturer, although I think perhaps there is one manufacturer in particular that that is in discussions with the FIA. But it's, it's, it's basically saying to all manufacturers, look, what we want to do is we want to accommodate you. And it's, it's, it's remarkably forward thinking by the FIA. Um, you know, why restrict yourself? Why restrict yourself and why shut out certain manufacturers from your sport when there's a perfectly workable solution to allow uh, just about any manufacturer into your sport? And it's, uh, you, you're right, Mike. I mean, that, that, um, you know, the, the headline grabbing announcement was hybrid. But that, that announcement about the scaling was the most exciting announcement because I, to me, to yeah. me, it says that, that, that they, they have been in discussions with at least one, possibly two or three other manufacturers who have said, listen, we, we'd come to your sports uh, in a jiffy. If only we had a car that could actually meet the requirements. All right, so the requirements aren't right. We will change. We will change the regulations and we will allow you with whichever car, more or less, you've got. Because uh, you know, SUVs, SUVs are the biggest market. The biggest market right now, the growing sector for the car manufacturers, you know, this will allow effectively any manufacturer to potentially take their SUV and turn it into a world rally car. Fantastic. How exciting would that be? That would be different. (laughs) That would be different. different, But, you know, we've seen it over here. Um, We had a two-wheel drive uh, championship winner in in a RAV4, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you know, it's it's all going the right way. You know, uh, we're very quick, and and, and I'm very quick at times to criticize the FIA for certain things. Um, But, you know, there have been some really good sense initiatives from the FIA recently. Uh, and in terms of rallying, uh, you know, they're, they're certainly doing the right things to keep rallying where it's at in terms of its popularity, its appeal, um, and its cross-manufacturer appeal. And, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I, I think the future is good. The future really mm-hmm. is potentially good. But I'll go back to what I said a couple of minutes ago. You know, we need to be uh, open-minded about the future as, as rally fans, because it's rally fans that create the rally fans are a particular and very special uh, sort. And they can be very vocal, uh, very vocal in support, very vocal in condemnation. Um, you know, we, we, we have to be open. Uh, 
And we have to realize that uh, combustion engines are no longer the future and rallying as we know it will have to change. Now, we should be part of that debate uh, if we want to actually try and shape the future. And um, the FI are doing all they can. The WRC promoter is clearly doing all they can. As rally fans, we have our part to play. And our part has to be a positive part rather than uh, an overly negative part, which in the past it has been. Uh, but we have to play a positive part in the future development and direction of the sport. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I completely agree with you. Um, you know, I, like I said, some of the things they, they've got to solve as problems. Um, it, it, my issue tends to revolve a lot around safety as a person that helps organize an event. I, I see safety issues and, the electric thing kind of scares me a little bit when I've, you know, seen bits of, you know, electric car going around a corner. I'm like, how the hell does somebody know that's even coming? Uh, but like you said, th they'll figure it out. But they'll you know what? You know, we, we don't, there aren't so many electric cars in a, you know, on, on the roads these days as a percentage. There are more and more quite clearly. But when you notice an electric car is when you go to a quiet street or a quiet town or village, uh, and it, it happened to me actually for in Raleigh, Australia, a little place called, uh, I can't remember what the town was called. And I, I nearly walked out into the street as this Tesla practically plowed me over. And I thought, my goodness me, they're talking about roads that will be more or less exclusively full of electric cars in 20 years' time. Mm -hmm. Well, they can't be full of silent electric cars. And this is right. what I'm saying. This is where rallying can become the test bed for these things. It is impossible to have streets filled with silent cars. It'll be carnage. It'll be absolute mm -hmm. carnage. So, you know, they have to come up with some sort of uh, solution for uh, the commercial aspect of selling, selling road cars. Well, rallying is the place where that, that solution can be developed because it has to be developed. Yeah. Necessity is the greatest innovator. And in rallying, we can't have silent rally cars. You know, A, because you know, the spectacle is affected, but B, as Mike, you're saying, perhaps, perhaps the most important thing from a safety point of view, we develop whatever the sound of these, these electric cars are and it may be a whole new sound that we're not even familiar with just now. Might mm -hmm. be something else that completely turns us on. You know, why do we get turned on by the sound of a, a combustion engine? Uh, you know, a hundred years ago, people weren't getting turned on by the sound of combustion engines. There may be a whole new sound waiting out there to be developed and to be discovered, which you know we will develop and discover in rallying because it's a necessity, and it'll then filter down into streetcars because in 20 years' time it'll be a necessity there as well. So that's my point. The heavens point. don't make it what they do with the uh, the hill climb uh, that they do at uh, Pikes Peak, uh, where it's a, a siren that they no. made the electrics <laughs> use, and that it sounded like a car alarm. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> Granted, but people that's, knew it was that's, coming. But that's where it gets developed. You know, people go, "Jesus, we're not having that." You know, that'll drive us all mad. <laughs> you know? so, so again, you know, we need to be in a position where we put ourselves in an indispensable position to the motor manufacturers, where we are there. Uh, offering the ability to do what we've done through generations we're rallying, which is be there developing uh, you know, new solutions and innovative solutions. Well, Colin, I, I, thank you so much for spending all this time with us. Wow. Um, you're, you put you're my schedule back by an hour late. this morning. My, my kids are <laughs> chomping at the bit. It's, we're heading off on the family holiday via Bilth Wells and the Nicky Gris stages, and they're now oh, wow. an hour behind. I'm, as soon as I emerge from this cupboard, 
I'm going to get battered by my children. Express my apologies. Um... No, I will, but there's a big benefit in that I've discovered jackets while I've been sitting here in my coat cupboard that I've not seen for years. <laughs> no wonder that I'm thinking why well, there's a lovely pink linen one here that might well be worn at some point in the summertime that I'd forgotten I had. Well, well, bring them over to Oregon Trail uh, next time you come visit because it's a beautiful place to visit, and uh, maybe I can apologize to them in person. Yeah, listen, uh, absolutely. One, one of my absolute favorite rallies. I had such a warm welcome when I was across there four years, five years ago now. Trying to get back every year since, I will return to Oregon Trail because it, it's just the most delightful rally. Loved every minute of it. You are our media celebrity. Um, I believe that's what we <laughs> agreed on. Some, some nonsense like that, Mike. Some nonsense. But yeah. <laughs> it's been a delight this morning. I, as you know, I always enjoy the opportunity to uh, express an opinion or two. And it's been a joy, a joy with you this morning. Thank you very much. Well, we've, uh, we've, we've definitely noticed a huge uptick in interest in rallying, both here in the States and, of course, uh, globally. Uh, it definitely is a golden age. Thank you for giving us this kind of mid-season uh, review. There's, gosh, I'm really looking forward to the second half. Uh, I'll try not to make it uh, too long until we talk to you again, uh, because, like I said, I, I love your opinions and uh, always look up to that stuff. Uh, for all of you listening, make sure that you follow Colin Clark on Colin Clark Rally on what Facebook, Instagram, Facebook. your YouTube yeah. channel. Yeah, got, got it. It's all there. Colin Clark Rally. Just uh, just Google it, and it'll all come up there somewhere. But yeah, it's all there, Mike. Well, that's where you provide, especially with your kitchen table shakedown, some of the best unfiltered insight you'll get in the WRC and uh, in other things that come up in the rallying. And uh, again, thanks again, Colin Clark, for being on the show. I'm your host, Mike Shaw. For Ian Holmes, this is the Open Paddock Rallycast. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.